0: The views, opinions, and representations expressed on the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network and its website are those of the hosts, guests, and participants, and are not necessarily those of or endorsed by the network, its affiliated stations and broadcasts, the management, other hosts, or advertisers of the network. The shows found on the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network can, but do not necessarily, promote any particular lifestyle, belief, religion, political affiliation, or other personal practice. These shows are for entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to treat, diagnose, and or claim any cure of disease or condition or give any medical or legal advice. You can advertise your business on Night Dreams Talk Radio and you will be heard worldwide. Why not contact us at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com? Coming to you from some far point station, like a cosmic tumbleweed, both north and south of the Pleiades, here's your host, Gary Anderson.
1: Well, that is me. I have to always wait to make sure that's the last bit of thunder. That's a new uh, intro uh, by a station over in Utah sent us over last week. I really enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It even gives me goosebumps. Well, tonight we got a great guest uh, on, Eric Altman. We're going to be talking about, well, monsters, Bigfoot, and cryptics, and all that. Eric, how are you doing, my friend?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, yeah. So, what's been uh, going on in the Bigfoot community?
2: Well, the latest news that has been released came out on the 5th of June, just a few days ago. An article uh, made, um, the AP Wire and mainstream media, about the FBI releasing a uh, correspondence file from the Freedom of Information Act, where they talked about uh, testing supposed Bigfoot hair that was given to them from a researcher in 1976 by the name of Peter Byrne. He's one of the more well-known, um, famous researchers. And he submitted a, a small piece of tissue with hair attached attached to it and asked them to uh, test the hair to see if they could get some kind of uh, results because he claimed that uh, at that time they weren't able to identify it. And, of course, the uh, FBI looked at the hair, and uh, the test results came back as uh, hairs from a deer family origin so uh, it was an interesting article, um, it's something that I was aware of um, because the Freedom of Information Act, there were files released a few years ago where they, they talked about something very similar to that, but nothing groundbreaking or earth-shattering as far as the Bigfoot community is concerned, but still interesting enough to know that the FBI had, in 1976, looked into the possibility of, of Bigfoot existing.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I do, you know, feel that they do exist, and the reason why I say that. Eric, a friend of mine who was a medical doctor, he just got done with his uh, internship. Now, this is going back uh, to around 2002, right around there. And uh, before he opened up his uh, uh, practice up here in Puyallup, Washington, he decided, hey, let's go for a road trip. And because we're into photography as a hobby. And I go, hey, well, let's go do the lighthouses in Oregon and all that. He goes, no, let's go up to the Canadian Rockies. And and mm. do like old cemeteries, uh, try to find old uh, whatever. And he said, there's an old World War Two Japanese internment camp out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, well, he talked me into it. Uh, we went, uh, you know, all the way up to uh, British Columbia, up to the Canadian Rockies. Uh, we hiked in uh, a couple miles off of a dead-end road, which wasn't much of a road. We found the thing. And uh, it was a little bit of uh, the internment camp left, but not much. And one thing I did notice, uh, there was like mining equipment and there was a creek there and it was on a built on a base of a, a side of a mountain. And my friend says, hey, look at that giant bear across the creek. And I looked and I grabbed my you know camera and looked through the lens cause I yeah, I had a telephoto lens. And it freaked me out because what I saw was not a bear. And about the same time I saw it. Eric, it saw us, and it made a big scream like you wouldn't believe. Now, also, it was really scary about it because it was, you know, base of a mountain. You know, it was echoing like you wouldn't believe. And I'm going to myself, wow, I don't know what that is. And the next thing I know, the thing starts chasing after us. It runs across the creek. You know, uh, we take off running. And uh, that was my experience of a, a Bigfoot or something similar. I have no idea, but I can honestly tell you it ran on two legs, then to four legs and back to two legs.
2: Oh, I'm glad it didn't catch you. <laughs>
1: no, I'm glad it didn't either. But I tell you, uh, when we got back to the car, uh, you know, I was getting in the car and it was it or its mate or whatever companion was maybe 25, 30 feet away from the car, bending wow. a tree over, and it, it it made a scream. Now, my friend is just trying to get into the car. He's got his leg in the car as I'm giving it gas, and I'm dragging him, you know, for a distance before I stopped, and I'll be honest with you, and a lot of people look at me when I tell this story, and I had never really started telling this story up to about a year ago, because I, I was scared to. Uh, it threw a rock, hit the passenger side of the car, put a big dent in the front fender. And I. the bad part is it wasn't my car. It was my wife's brand new car. She loaned it to us to go on this road trip. I come home and she goes, okay, what did you hit? And I said, I didn't hit nothing. And I told her what, you know, uh, some like Bigfoot or something or hairy man or whatever threw a huge rock and, and, and put a dent in the car. To this day, she doesn't believe my story. And sometimes I I wonder if it was my imagination, but it wasn't, unfortunately.
2: Well, everything that you've described are hallmarks of Bigfoot encounters, the rock throwing, the screaming, the charging, the upright and quadruped running of the creature. Um, Yeah, Those those appear in a lot of sighting reports that um, are reported to researchers across the nation, even across the globe. It, it's more likely that's what you did see was a sasquatch and not a bear because, as we both know, bears can walk on two legs and they're quite sufficient at walking on two legs but usually when they give chase they they drop down to all fours and they' remain on all fours you, um The only time you'll really ever see a bear go up on two legs is if it's looking for food or if it's uh if it comes across another predator or another bear it's they do go up on two legs and they do walk very very fluidly on two legs, not with an issue, but they don't walk for a great distance, especially running. They can't run very well on two legs, and if they do, it's for a short distance before they drop down to all fours in pursuit of uh, uh, their prey or another animal or person. So consider yourself lucky that you weren't caught by the Bigfoot or anybody in the car wasn't hit by that rock because uh, they do tend to throw rocks, and it's more of like a territorial thing. Um, primates in general, chimpanzees especially, throw rocks and sticks at other predators that are trying to get to them. It kind of, it's kind of a deterrent, if you will, to, to force the predator or other other animal they don't want in their territory away.
1: Oh yeah. Now I will tell you, the stench was so bad that it literally burnt my throat. I mean, the smell. It smelled like feces. It smelled like undescribable. Uh, But it actually just took, like, it felt like it just took the air out of, you know, inside of the car. And and then it literally felt like your throat was on fire. That's how uh, 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 horrible the smell was.
2: Yeah, again, um, primates have a a scent gland um, that they emit a pheromone or a scent that's uh, pretty nasty smelling. And that's, we're we're speculating, of course, what a Bigfoot might be. We believe it might be an undiscovered primate. And if it is, they possibly could have that, that same kind of gland where they, they emit a smell. But to be perfectly honest with you, surprisingly, um, not all cases of Bigfoot encounters or sightings or, or uh, activity have a smell associated with it. There are cases that do, and they often describe the smell like you've described, a very nasty and an eye-watering eye and, and burn-your-nostrils kind of smell and oh, yeah. something that lingers for days. But uh, not all not all the cases or not all reports have a smell associated with it, believe it or not.
0: Well, yeah, I I, I
1: have done a lot of research on it. Now, I don't know if you ever heard of Ed Romans, but in Canada, he's like one of the top folk singers, uh, recording artists in Canada. And uh, he called me up about, well, the first time I talked about, you know, Bigfoot on my show, he, he I guess he listened and he had to, you know, to call my show and become on, you know, come on as a guest because he had an encounter up in British Columbia. Uh, He has a, a farm and it's right near the forest and he likes taking his dog out in the forest on a path, you know, for a walk. And he said he was going on the path to go into the forest and he said about a thousand feet in front of him was a creature that, you know, stood up about like seven, eight feet tall, described what I pretty much saw. And it saw him and started running. What he described also, that he said it ran on two legs, dropped down to four legs, back to two legs, back to four legs. And he said it chased him a long distance. And then, you know, the last time he turned around to check and see how close it was getting, it was gone.
2: That sounds like a bluff charge where the animal is trying to get him out of their, their territory. It doesn't want to harm him, obviously, if it wanted to catch him, it would have been probably would have killed him or done some serious bodily harm to him but it sounds more like a bluff charge where it wanted to drive him out of its territory
1: well it did a good job i know in the case with me and my friend it did a real good case of you know it, it you know it scared me so bad that we drove maybe about 13 to 15 miles uh down the road uh and we ran into like a little country store and we went in there and we were really shook up and the uh owner of the store noticed that we were really shook up. And he goes, well, what were you doing? I said, we went up to the internment camp taking pictures. And he goes, well, uh, do you have a gun? And I go, no, we're American citizens. He goes, well, you naturally had bear spray, didn't you? And I go, no, I didn't even think about it. And then he was so kind to tell us a week before that, a, a, a married couple went out hiking and I guess the woman got hurt. So the husband went to get help And by the time he got the help and they got back there, I I guess his wife was half-eaten by a bear.
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate that does happen. And I I tell everybody who goes out either researching for Bigfoot or even out in the forest for a hike, always make sure you take bear spray with you or or even a pocket knife or something that you can defend yourself with because there's a lot of elements out there that can, can cause you harm, not just the terrain but wildlife and animals. Snakes and, and stuff like that that are out there. Bears, you know, they're they're not friendly. It's not not a petting zoo when you go out there. So you always need to prepare yourself and, and make sure that uh, you're you're uh, ready for any kind of surprises out there in the forest.
1: Oh yeah, because you know it would be really scary. Because I mean, you got anything depending on where you live: cougars, mountain lions. You know, bear, right. you know, again, snakes or anything like that. And if you're out there, you know, I always tell everybody, make sure you, you let people know exactly where you're going or the area you're, where you're going at. Because if you don't and something happens to you, you know, you're going to be one of the missing.
2: Yeah, and thousands of people disappear every year and, and sometimes without a trace. And it's more it's most important that you leave... A note with a family member where you're going, even uh, something in your your glove box in your car, a note or something saying what trail you're going to be hiking or how far you plan on going in. So it gives folks that if they do find your car, an idea of where to start looking for you should something happen to you out there.
1: Now, what's your honest feeling of all the missing in the national forest system?
2: I mean... Um, I I find it rather fascinating, to be honest. Um, I I think a lot of those folks um, do go missing... um, and they're either found alive or unfortunately deceased. And um, there, there's a lot of folks that do go missing that can be accounted for, but it's the ones that can't be accounted for that disappear without a trace that fascinates me the most. And, and they a lot of them seem to occur in national parks, um, state for you know state forest land, um, national forest land, federal federal land, and and they disappear and then they send up these search teams to look for them and they they're never seen or found again they'll find remnants like a backpack or um, part of their clothing but they'll never find that person again which i think is fascinating it's there's no explanation of what happened to those people
1: yeah i you know i could see if it happened to a a couple thousand but uh from what i've been reading you know like uh the missing 411 you're you're talking you know like fourteen thousand people that went into a park over a certain period of time a national forest system it just totally disappeared, no trace of them.
2: Yeah, David Polites is the author of this 411, Missing 411 411 books, and he's done some really deep and intense um, research into the missing folks, and he's written um, several books on the subject, I think almost a half a dozen, if not more, and they're fascinating reads, and some of the cases are quite disturbing because they involve small children, you know, ages two, three, four years old, that just disappear without a trace. And he has no explanation for what happens to them or where they go. And and, and I don't either. It's just it's fascinating that, that something like that happens. And it's a sad situation where someone disappears and there's no closure for the family or they're not able to rescue that person or find them. Uh, it's definitely a fascinating topic for discussion and something. Unfortunately, I'm not qualified to, to discuss because I don't really research that. But when I hear the cases come up, I'll look into them and you know read the the notes on it or the findings if there are any findings and and see if there's a conclusion to the case, but aside from that, reading the four one one missing four one one books is about as far as into detail I've gone into these cases,
1: yeah, that's pretty much with me too. I just find it strange you know that. You know, some people try to tie it with Bigfoot. Some try to tie it with aliens. I don't know what it is. I I don't think we have that many serial killers in the the forest system running around, you know, uh, you know, offing people. I, I, you know, I don't think that many people would, you know, fall off a cliff or get swept down by the river or, you know, it's it's just kind of, you know, exciting and interesting. Like, where are they going? What's happening? And that's where you get these people coming on and saying, well, gee, maybe they walked through a portal. Maybe Bigfoot got them. Who knows? It's it's a lot of strange topics out there about it.
2: Oh, sure. There sure are. And uh, a lot of folks don't realize, and I was even surprised when I I learned this many, many years ago. Um, I've been an outdoorsman. I love to hike and, and camp and fish and hunt and all that. And something I learned when I was very young is When an animal or even a person, let's say a person, passes away in the forest, Mother Nature has an amazing disposal system where the carcass, a deer, for example, a deer dies in the forest naturally. Within seven to ten days, that deer is almost completely decomposed, and there's very little trace, if any, left of the deer. And I'm talking bones, too, because as I found out, um, field mice, um, smaller predators like porcupines, um, they, they love to eat the bones, and the marrow in the bones, and they scatter the bones quite a long distance. So any sign of that animal that died in the forest is pretty much covered up, and there's no trace of, of a deer. Otherwise, we'd be finding dead deer and dead bear and, and all kinds of carcasses when we went out there. But yeah, Mother Nature has a great disposal system where an animal or even a person would be decomposed and disposed of very, very quickly.
1: Oh, so they would even uh. Dis- decompose a lot more than they would if they were, you know, in the city or in the house or something and pass on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause
2: there's elements that they, you know, that they're exposed to as well as insects and, and uh, other predators, other animals that would uh, help to to dispose of the carcass pretty quickly.
1: Oh yeah. I could imagine larger animals too. you know, great dragging off, you know, body parts and all that stuff. So yeah, that, Mm -hmm. that would maybe account for why the bodies aren't being found.
2: It's a possibility, definitely.
1: Still gives me thought. I, you know, I ha- I'll be honest with you. I grew up in a family used to go camping every weekend during the summer. We go off for a two, three, you know, week vacation when I was growing up every year. You know, we traveled everywhere from Texas, Idaho, Montana. You know, all those places. You know, growing up camping. I'll tell you after my experience, but whatever I ran into. And I can't even tell you what it really is. I can't say it's a Bigfoot. Maybe it was some hairy old man that left over from, you know, Iraq or Vietnam War, who knows, whatever it was. But I can honestly tell you this. I have not had the desire to go camping uh, since then, which was really a bummer because, you know, I have eight children. And we used to go camping ourselves every weekend during the summers. And all of a sudden, I just lost the urge of wanting to go anywhere near a forest.
2: Well, you're not alone, Um A lot of folks who've had experiences, sightings or encounters or um, something happened to them in in the woods that they can't explain or understand have had um, a complete change of heart when it comes to going out in the outdoors. And then, to be honest, there have been witnesses that I've interviewed and other people have interviewed that have refused to go back into the forest or even that location for years, if not decades. Um, Some people I've talked to, it's taken them 20 or 30 years to to, go, to be able to go back to that spot where they had their sighting or encounter just because they're so um, traumatized by the event, and it changes their lives. It puts the fear of God in them because, let's face it, it, this animal is thought by millions of people not to exist. So when someone has an encounter and they actually see this creature, that's, that's life-changing. It's, it's, we're taught these things aren't real. They don't exist. They, they, there's no way that could be out there. And when you finally see one for yourself... Everything you've taught, everything you've understood, everything you've known about the wildlife, outdoors, and everything literally changes at that, that moment. And it can change people very intensely. And, and that traumatic experience leads, definitely leaves a, a, an emotional scar on people.
1: Oh, it really does. You know, in in my case, too, you know, after I, I you know, I didn't go around and, and tell anybody. My My friend who was a medical doctor, we kind of lost our friendship over it because he was scared. You know, uh, he was, like I said, opening up his medical practice. His father was a superior court judge in Pierce County, Washington. His brother was a high profile criminal attorney. And, you know, he didn't want to be associated with the word Bigfoot, you know, because he he, he just opened up a medical practice, you know, and all of a sudden, if you're in the news, all of a sudden, this guy claims he saw a Bigfoot. It's going to affect getting patients. And, you know, he he kind of put a, a stress on our friendship. And, you know, I haven't even brought it up to. I started, you know, getting back into radio after retirement. And, and the only reason why I brought it up is I get people all the time sending me stories about Bigfoot, you know, that Bigfoot are loving. They, they talk to you from, telepathically. They give off <laughs> orbs. They're here to serve mankind. They're, they're watching after, you know, us humans. And, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't see whatever I ran into. I, I'm And, you know, I was in the military. And I was never as so scared as when that thing was chasing us. I mean, I'd rather have been in a firefight again than run into what I ran into. I'll tell you, I was so traumatized from it. And I still occasionally have nightmares about it. But I didn't talk about it for years. Because, and the only reason why I ever even brought it up on my show is because of all these people you know he, they've never seen a bigfoot or anything near what a bigfoot is so they just have their own ideas what a bigfoot is
2: yeah there there's a lot of people that have different ideas when it comes to the subject um and there are people that believe that it. it's a a loving warm receptive creature that that will communicate telepathically with them and and uh some believe it's a space alien there there's a variety of different theories and people and and they're they're certainly welcome to it. I I don't knock anybody for their beliefs or their opinions, but it certainly doesn't sound to me like you had an encounter with a a loving, caring creature that wanted to be friends and and you know n- nurture you and nurture Earth. And it sounded like whatever you had, had an encounter with was aggressive and didn't want you in its territory. That's why it chased you off. Especially if it was throwing rocks at you. And that doesn't sound like to me like something that's going to communicate telepathically and and be warm and welcoming and, and, you know, say, hey, come on, hang out with me in the forest. It doesn't sound like to me at all that's what you had an experience with.
0: Well, it sure
1: did a good job chasing away, you know, us away from where we were at. But I had the strong feeling, and I've always thought this, you know, Eric, if I would have st- stood my grounds there, you know, and maybe people said, well, you got a camera, why didn't you take pictures? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, when something like that, charges after you, you don't think about stopping and turn around and trying to take a picture. You know, maybe if you were a a war correspondent, you would think about, hey, I'm going to get a picture. I'm not a normal person. You got one thing in your mind, and it's called fright and fear and survival.
2: Yeah, it's that whole fight or flight aspect where your uh, body kicks into either you're going to stand your ground and fight and hope to God that you can defend yourself and protect yourself, or you're going to take off in fear. And that's what it sounded like you, your body chose to get out of there, which was the smartest thing to do because without a gun, without bear spray, without a knife, without anything to protect yourself, and, and even if it was a bear that you saw, chances of you defending yourself successfully and coming away unscathed is very, very minimal.
1: Oh, yeah. People don't realize that when they go out looking for Bigfoot. You know, when I was a kid, my dad's brother was an Abbott hunter. And up back, this is, you know, I'm now going on 68 years old i was probably about 10 years old when this happened but it was around uh, mount shasta he was out bear hunting and he shot a bear and he didn't get the kill shot so the bear kink, you know charged him and i don't know if he got a second shot in but i know that the the bear mauled him so bad that he was in the hospital for well over a month they thought he was gonna die and the rest of his life, he had scars all over his body where he was just mauled. And that's the things you have to be worried about when you go out looking for Bigfoot or just going out, you know, hiking in the woods. You've got to be prepared.
2: Oh, exactly. Because as we discussed a little bit ago, there's so many different types of elements and, and things that can happen out there. You have to carry at least bear spray with you or, or something that you can defend yourself with because you can come across anything or anybody even humans can be dangerous if you come across the wrong person with the wrong intentions. So you always have to be prepared when you're out in the forest.
1: Now, have you had any negative experiences out in the
0: forest?
2: Um, I've been at this for um, going out in the field and investigating for over 22 years now, and I've had some rather harrowing experiences. Where I, I carry bear spray with me. Um, I started. I learned early that you need to take that stuff with you. As I had an encounter with a black bear about 1130 at night one night when I was by myself. And fortunately, the bear was more more afraid of me than I was of it. But I've, I've been carrying bear spray ever since. And I've had some pretty harrowing encounters where I've had rocks thrown at me and my research team. Um, we've heard really intense, loud, aggressive vocalizations. Like you, you described, it echoes through the valley. And the, the, where we were at, we were on top of a mountain in the middle of Pennsylvania, and we had something scream at us and, it's very loud. You can feel it in your chest. And uh, we've had encounters like that. I've also had encounters with coyote, black bear. I've run across a couple of rattlesnakes and, and cotton, not cotton mouse, but um, uh, rattlesnakes. And uh, I've come across um, some other aggressive dogs, um, not necessarily uh, like a domesticated dog, but more like a pack of wild dogs. So you have to be careful. We've even gotten chased out of areas by people who were, Illegally growing marijuana, we shouldn't have been in an area where they were growing their crops. We got chased out of there. So you have to be prepared for everything.
0: Well, yeah,
1: too. That's one place where, you know, if you go out there and somebody, and I I don't think, well, you know, a lot of states now are legalizing, you know, marijuana, like Washington is one of them. But, you know, if you're in the wrong state, the wrong area, and you go out and stumble against, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's growing a lot, for example. Uh, they're going to look at, well, you know, if you report them, what's going to happen to them, What, and then they're going to look at what's going to happen to you if they don't uh, take care of you. So maybe that's yeah. also where some of the people maybe go missing too.
2: That's a possibility, yeah. yeah. You always have to be prepared for anything and anyone when you go out in the forest because you never know what you're going to run into.
1: You know, I one time I was out in the forest, you know, and with a friend, and we were just hiking around, and some idiot had a like a uh, oh, had some type of semi-automatic that was converted over to full automatic, and they were just shooting everywhere. And I will tell you, that was an experience I never want to go through. So that's another thing you have to watch out because there's maybe people out there, you know, it it um, are kind of crazy.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I always jokingly cite the movie Deliverance. <laughs> you never know what you're going to run into out there, so. Always best to be prepared. Well, can you tell us some
1: exciting stories of uh, some of your encounters of going out and looking for Bigfoot?
2: Oh, certainly. Um, As I said, I started this in um, 1997. Um, I grew up a fan of monster movies and horror movies and stuff like that. And I got into studying the paranormal and Bigfoot when I was 10 So from that point forward, I I familiarized myself, educated myself as much as possible, and I got into the field actually going out looking for evidence and sign, being proactive rather than reactive, but I was also investigating cases where people would claim that they had sightings or encounters, and I wanted to find out for myself mainly um, to see if there was anything legitimacy to their reports, if they were... Possibly misidentifying something if they were hoaxing stuff because there's a lot of different factors that are involved with with a Bigfoot sighting. It could be any of those. It could be the, the real thing. But um, I, I always felt it's my job as an amateur investigator to try to get to the truth of, of what people are seeing. So I, I learned very quickly that um, you know you get a you get a variety a uh, Pandora's box of stuff over the years as, as long as you're in it. And uh, there have been some situations and encounters that I've experienced over the years that have been quite um, intense. They get the adrenaline going and, and really makes you take a step back and wonder what you experienced. And some of them included, as I mentioned, rock throwing. Um, I was in a location in central Pennsylvania um, in an area known as Clearfield County. It's in the central part of the state. And it's not a, a, not a terribly remote area, but where we were at, we were probably about four or five miles from the closest houses or residents, or from civilization, if you will. And something out there that night wasn't happy that we were there and began throwing rocks at us, and they were literally missing us by a few feet. They would hit the ground or whiz by our head or um, hit the tree behind us, and you could hear them coming through the trees. It was unmistakable what they were. And they were probably about the size of baseballs, maybe a little bit larger, but whatever was out there wasn't happy that we were there and uh, was trying to drive us out. But, of course, we stood our ground, and uh, you know, we, were, we weren't going to leave just for some rocks being thrown at us, but it went on all night, and uh, it was periodic. It would come in waves where you'd get like 10 or 15 minutes of just constant rock throwing that would settle down and uh, be quiet. Nothing would happen, and then it would start up again. And the most unique thing about that was at the time I had a handheld thermal flare where I had a small, probably about a six- or seven-inch screen that you could look at, and uh, we weren't seeing anything on the thermal flare. Nothing was coming up, no heat signature or anything like that. We, we tried to determine where the rock was coming from or the direction it was being thrown from, and we'd put that thermal flare on it, and we wouldn't see anything. So whatever was doing it that night was very elusive and very adept to hiding in the, the thick foliage and, and the, uh, the trees. Either would step behind a tree and hide from us, until through another rock but we never saw the source of where the rocks were coming from Uh, that's just one example another one in ohio i was in um, southeastern ohio and uh this was in 2008 and i was out with another researcher and our intent was to meet up with other researchers in this area this uh state park we weren't actually going out to do any bigfoot researching or investigating we just wanted to meet up with some fellow researchers that we were friends with and just to Hang out and uh, talk with them, and you know, catch up on the latest stuff that they've been doing. And we went to a location in this state park where um, there had been previous sightings and, and activity reported. And we thought that's that's where the uh, location of these other investigators we were going to meet. And we went, we arrived there about uh, probably about four o'clock in the morning. Nobody was there; they'd gone home for the night. So myself and the other investigator decided that time we were going to kind of scour that area a little bit and maybe do a little bit of research to see if we could see anything or hear anything or anything was going on in this area because we knew of the history of of sightings and activity that had been reported. And while we were there, we had rocks thrown at us in that location too. And we actually had a couple of uh, tree branches, um, limbs that were broken and thrown at us. Um, they would you you literally hear them come whizzing by your head or hear them hit the ground and we found them you know with flashlights and, and use of uh, night vision we were able to pick them up off the ground and see what they were but uh, again the the foliage and the uh, the surrounding trees and brush was so thick that we couldn't see anything in the forest Even when we put flashlights on or fleer trying to figure out what was throwing stuff at us so it's obvious from my personal experiences and talking with hundreds of eyewitnesses and studying these creatures are so adept to camouflaging themselves very well, hiding in the thick brush and the trees that they can basically disappear, um, as it were, you know, kind of blend in so well and hide behind a tree or or brush that you won't see them, and even thermal flare won't pick them up, and I know from using thermal flare that um, it it goes so far into the thick brush, and then, you know, the brush can obscure some of the heat, heat readings, the temperature readings, that everything looks the same, so yeah, they're really good at playing hide-and-go-seek, if you will.
1: Now, like the rock tossing, did it seem like it was like a lot of power behind the rocks? You know, did they seem like it hit hard?
2: In some situations, yes. It seemed like it was coming from a pretty good distance because we could hear it going through the branches and the leaves. You could hear the pitter-patter through the branches as it came towards us. And sometimes it would come in an arc where it seemed like it was throwing it pretty high and then come down bouncing at our feet just in front of us. Other times it would seem like it, like somebody was throwing a baseball at you. It would whiz by your head or just miss you by a few feet. And I found that quite intriguing. You know, I was, it was exciting, actually, to have something or somebody out there in the forest doing that. And, and people always ask me, well, it was probably somebody else playing tricks on you or, or uh, you know, trying to get you to leave or trying to scare you. And that's a very good possibility. I can't rule that out. But I find it interesting that if there was a person out there in the forest they were able to mani- maneuver and manipulate through the brush and through the trees without flashlights, without the use of lights to, to get around because it's pretty dark out there at night without a flashlight or any way to see. So uh, it, it's possible. Yes, it was somebody trying to scare us off, but in my opinion, it was unlikely just because we saw never saw anybody come in with flashlights or, you know, unless they waited out there and, and knew that we were coming to that exact spot, which we just kind of decided last minute to go there. So I doubt it was that, but Yeah, to answer your question, yeah. There were times where the rocks were thrown with uh, some force to it, like a baseball, like a pitcher would throw a baseball. And other times they were thrown in an arcing-type manner through the trees, which, you know, almost lofting them in the air. So it's it's been very strange. It's happened to me several occasions over the years.
1: Well, I just think a human doing it, trying to, you know, scare you or whatever— I don't think they would have the endurance to, you know, throw a mass amount of rocks at a a high rate of speed. I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, average person's not going to be able to even like on baseball, you couldn't throw out a continuous amount of, you know, baseballs without, you know, getting weaker after a a certain period of time without, you know, and that just kind of tells me that it's something that was going on. So, I mean, did it seem like they were trying to hit you or just scare you?
2: I think they were trying to just scare us, whatever it was, Um, because if it wanted to hit us, it had ample opportunity to hit us. I mean, we weren't ducking behind trees, we weren't hiding behind bushes or stuff like that, or running back to the car. We were out in the open field, and if this thing wanted to hit us, it could have hit us easily, there's no doubt, but I think it was more or less a a territorial thing, kind of like an intimidation, where it wanted to drive us out of its territory or get us to leave, and... And eventually it worked. We did, we ended up eventually leaving after a couple hours. But um, we stood our ground for a while, and it continued to throw rocks at us. And the several different occasions we've had rocks thrown at us, it, was, it wasn't it was just like one rock and that was it. it. It was several times it would go on that night. And as I mentioned, the one time we were in Clearfield where it threw rocks at us for a 10- or 15-minute period, and then it would stop, and then it would start up again. That that to me shows intelligence. It's not just a random thing that's happening, and it's either a person doing it or something else. It, that's the only way I can answer that.
1: Interesting. Ah, and it was like a lot of force. And again, they were about the size like baseball a size rocks.
2: Yeah, baseball, if not larger. Yes. And there's been times where we've had rocks thrown at us that were just small pebbles, and even pine cones. We've had pine cones thrown at us, which I find fascinating. But, you know, we've had sticks, pine cones, rocks, those types of things thrown at us before.
1: Have you heard any, of like, banging on tree noise or, like, or in case of banging on rocks or anything to, you know?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that quite frequently, actually. Um, and it, and just for your listeners to understand, um, when when I go out and do research or anybody, any researcher goes out and does research, they'll tell you 95 to 98 percent of the time, it's it, nothing happens. It's quiet, it's normal, it's a typical night in the forest where you hear typical wildlife and bugs and um, crickets and frogs and stuff like that, so it's it's a very dull night, but the times that it does happen, it can get quite intense and quite exciting. Um, yeah, we, we've had some really ex- interesting experiences out there in the forest, and yeah, I, I don't know, I, I've never seen a Bigfoot myself, uh, I've never witnessed something chase me out of the woods and drop down to all fours like you had. Um, so I can't say that there's something out there it, that might be a Bigfoot, but there's something out there that's throwing rocks and and throwing sticks, and people are seeing something. That's, that's the best conclusion I can come to at this point. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, I heard even speculation for some people say maybe it's some of the people that came back from Vietnam at one point, you know, years ago. And then, you know, you hear the ones that came back from Iraq. Maybe they just went out to the woods, you know, to get away from humans. And then you you get on their, you know, their area. But I don't know about that either, because, you know, it's interesting because I have done some uh, research Uh, One of my family members uh, married into a local Indian tribe, a Muckleshoot Indian tribe up here. And about a year or so ago, they don't have a medicine man. Well, maybe they do now, but then they didn't have a medicine man. They had a medicine woman. And I was really inquisitive about Bigfoot. And I was talking to her and I said, do Bigfoot exist? You know, what, what can you tell me, you know, from folklore of, you know, your tribe? and she sat there for like an hour and a half was telling me all these you know stories about bigfoot like they would come into their village uh and run off with a uh, you know with a squaw or a baby or the the, the the squaws would be down in the the you know river you know washing their clothes and they would have you know the babies you know uh on the the river bank and all of a sudden, she said, like a group of Bigfoot would run in, grab the babies or the squaws, right? Then the the tribe would go out, you know, trying to, you know, rescue to get them back. And uh, they would occasionally find bones, if anything. And uh, she was very Im- intimate about, you know, that uh, that actually all happened. And this is around like the 1880s, 1870s, all the way up.
2: Oh yeah, there's there's a long history of encounters and sightings that have occurred that date well back into the 1700s. and there's documented newspaper articles anybody can find online if you do a little bit of research you can find from the early 1800s. Here in Pennsylvania, my home state, the earliest documented encounter with the creature, uh, the Wild Boy of the woods, it actually took place in 1837. So there are documented articles. this is just a phenomenon started in the 1950s or 60s this has been going on for hundreds of years and native american tribes there's over 200 native american tribes across the, the continent the united states continent that have a name for a wild man or a hairy man or uh, another tribe of native american indians that they have in their legend and lore that they talk about there's, there's a creature in the pacific northwest uh, native americans called the buquois mm-hmm. and uh the Bukwa was the, the woman of the woods. She said that she carried a basket, and she would come down and collect squaws and children and take them off back to her cave to eat. And they would tell these tales to the, the younger um, tribes, you know, the, the boys and girls in the tribes, the children, to keep them away from the forest and from wandering off into the forest at night to keep them safe around their, their teepees and huts. And you know they didn't want them wandering off, so they'd tell them about the Bukwa behave or the bouquois is going to come and get you. And that was, you know, something they told the kids that, that they should be afraid of. And it happens in a lot of different tribes. It's not just the one particular tribe. There's a variety of different tribes that talk about different types of creatures. Like in the British Columbia, the Chehalis Indians, that's where the term Sasquatch came from. They call it a Siskavas. and um, J.W. Burns was up there in the early 1920s um working with them, and they told him of the these... They were basically a big elder brother, another race of Native American Indians that lived in the forest, and they called it the Susquehavis, and, and he anglicized that word into Sasquatch, and that's where a lot of people think all Native American tribes call the creature Sasquatch, but they don't. There's so many different names for the creature from different tribes, um, and they have different meanings. Um, some mean wild man of the forest, Hairy man, big brother, elder brother, um, a variety of different types of names that they, they uh, call these creatures. So there's a long, very, very long history um, that goes back hundreds, if not thousands, of years, of, of talking about these creatures. Native Americans, first, first Americans, either coexisting with or fearing these creatures. Um, in Pennsylvania, there's a the um, the uh, um, Oh... The Iroquois Indians have a creature they, they call the uh, Genesquah. And the Genesquah, to them, was um, a creature they feared. It was a cannibalistic giant, and they were afraid of it. And uh, Genesquah actually translates to stone hide or um, stonish giant. And the reason they called it a stonish giant is because when they confronted these, these Genesquah in the forest, they would shoot arrows at these creatures, and their hide was so thick... Either covering, either covering themselves with mud or uh, bark or anything like that, but the hide was so thick that the arrows were basically impenetrable. They wouldn't go through the hide. So they, they came up with this this idea that these creatures were made of stone, and this, thus the term stone, giant, or genisqua. So the, there, there are so many different tribes across the country that talk about these creatures. It's in our history. You can actually go back in, in to libraries or do Google searches online or go to newspapers.com and check out some of these um, old reports from the 1800s where they talk about the the hairy wild men and hairy wild women that they encountered. They they would send out posses with torches and pitchforks and try to hunt these things down, and they were never successful. But there's there's a long, long history um, when it comes to the, the Bigfoot phenomenon.
1: Oh yeah. And it goes back, you know, a lot of people, you know, just think they can go out in the woods or go to a campground and go out maybe a mile from the campground and they're going to find a Bigfoot, you know, in in, whatever I ran into, we were miles and miles from nowhere. That's why they put that world war two internment camp where it was for the Japanese prisoners couldn't just escape. And, you know, they had no place to go and, and, you know, and I just think if, if you're out looking for them, it's going to be really hard to find one. I, I wasn't looking for anything other than taking pictures of what was left of the internment camp and old, the old cemetery. It was there and all that stuff. That was my thing. And to run across what we did, I, I tell you, it, it, most people, I think if you're out looking for them, you're just not going to find them. And, and, and I think they're smart enough to realize when somebody's in the area, they're not going to be where you can find them anyway.
2: Yeah, that, that's the the one of the consensus among, among researchers is um, when you go out looking for Bigfoot, you don't find Bigfoot. Bigfoot finds you, and and I'm of the, the opinion I, I've been of the opinion for a long time that these animals are rare. Um, they are they are documented across all fifty states. Even Hawaii has a legend of a small hair covered creature. Although I don't think it's a Bigfoot, but um, let, let's let's say for arguments' sake, forty nine states have all had some kind of report, sightings, activity reported in their state. And um, although they're rare, um, I, I think there is enough that, that, that we should be looking into this a little bit further to try to document it. But again, on the other side of the coin, being a researcher, as long as I have, I also know that there are quite a number of misidentifications, hoaxes, oh, yeah. um, people's minds playing tricks on them there's a lot of things that you have to rule out and i don't i i can honestly say that not every report that somebody says they saw a bigfoot is going to be legit i think there's a lot more to it and you have to do re, you have to do good solid research to get to the bottom of it
1: i think i hate to say this the same way with the ufo community okay there's people out there trying to make a buck and uh, they will do hoax or do whatever and then they all of a sudden come out with a book uh, you know about Bigfoot, and I, you know, I had, and I brought this up a couple times on my show. I had this guy for a long period of time, you know, you know, emailing me almost daily, saying he wanted to come on my show. That he was a Bigfoot hunter. He was, you know, had twenty years' experience being a Bigfoot hunter. So I figured, okay, well, I'm going to bring this guy on. So I call him up on the phone, you know, to pr- do a pre-interview with him. And I, I first thing I said, well, where have you gone for these twenty years, you know, looking for Bigfoot? And he goes, well, I I've done it through reading books and on the internet. <laughs> and I said, well, have you ever gone out, you know, in the field and looked for one? He goes, no. Then I said, well, why would I want to bring you on my show? You're not a Bigfoot hunter. You you haven't <laughs> been out there looking for Bigfoot. You haven't been out in the trees and and, and you know and uh, he never got on the show. But there are people like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, we call them armchair researchers, and. and- There is a place for them in the the field. There's a a need for them because they do a lot of good historic research, and they do talk to witnesses on the phone. But unfortunately, some researchers, armchair researchers, don't go out in the forest. They don't go out in the field to investigate a case, and they simply stay behind their their keyboard and their computer and, and do the research there. And like I said, there is a place for them. And they're doing good for the community. They're, they're collecting data and information. Um, sometimes it's other people's information and other people's you know, research, which if that's what they want to do, that's fine. But um, I would suggest if anybody really wants to get into research, you have to go out into the field. You have to spend the time out there getting to know the, the, the area you're, you live in or you're going to research in, know the, the animal population, know the wildlife that's out there, know the weather terrain, the conditions, to better understand and appreciate the, the research because unless you're familiar with what's going on out there in the forest, reading a book really isn't going to get you much other than stories and tales. But if you talk to eyewitnesses in person, you go to that location and see where they have their inciting and encounter, you can learn so much more than from just reading a book or going on the Internet.
1: Yeah. And then you got these pranksters that go out, you know, like near a campground, you know, and they go on a path and they take a whole bunch of, you know, branches and kind of, you know, make it look like a, a lean to or something, you know, and then somebody else. Oh, that is from a Bigfoot, you know, and and it's just, you know, and you see so much of that. And uh, I think there's a lot of I, I, I don't want to use the word fake, but it's a, there is a lot of fake. Uh, it, not just in Bigfoot, I'm talking in the paranormal, uh, general. Mm-hmm. Now I will say this, a friend of mine who passed on Art Bell, uh, mm-hmm. we would talk, you know, off air occasionally. I known him for, I knew him for quite a few years. He's actually the one that got me back out of retirement and back into doing radio. Uh, he, you know, called me up one time, uh, and said, Hey, you need to listen to this replay. It's coming up about, uh, Oh, he had a guy call up and claimed that him and some of his uh, Vietnam War buddies were out, Marines. They were out, you know, doing some polching, uh, uh, you know, in the night. And they claimed that they ran into a Bigfoot. And I don't know if you ever have heard this story, but uh, they basically unloaded their guns on this creature. Mm-hmm. And then it, it kept coming after them, so they loaded, and, you know, loaded you know, loaded into the, the creature again uh, and killed it. And then I guess the mate was there and they end up killing the mate. And they were so supposedly scared of, because the creatures looked so human that uh, they buried him. And, uh, you know, they were scared of going to the authorities because they thought, hey, if they go to the authorities, they could go to prison, you know, be charged for murder. And uh, Art said that the guy did send him uh, a map where they buried the bodies at the time, and uh, I found that so intriguing. And Art really believed the guy, because a lot of the stuff the guy said it, it just couldn't have been a made-up story. Or if he, he if he did make it up, he was really good at making up stories.
2: Yeah, I recall that story. Um, the guy's name was Bugs
1: yes uh-huh.
2: he, he, what he used on the air and it was in texas and yeah they claimed that they were poaching and came across a, a male bigfoot which they shot and killed and then killed the the mate and they buried the bones and they sent art a map where he could find the body and, and if i'm not mistaken years later that came out that that was a hoax um somebody actually contrived the whole thing and um i, I don't know the name of the gentleman that was involved uh, I read something on the Internet about it years after that was released, and the guy finally admitted that he made the whole story up. But I can't verify that you know, one way or the other. I just remember reading the story. But I do remember that story that Art released. I remember listening to it, as a matter of fact. He was entering, interviewing uh, Robert W. Morgan on his show when a guy called in and gave that story. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty well-famous story um, from Art Bell from about 10 or 20 years ago.
1: Oh, yeah, and Art, you know, claimed that he had the map. The guy sent him the map. But, Mm -hmm. you know, again, too, from what you're saying, if they're buried out in the woods and stuff like that, I don't think the remains would have been there that long, you know, especially a couple years afterwards.
2: It's hard to say, yeah, it's hard to say. I think the whole story was contrived. I don't think there was anything to it. So even if Art did have the map, and was able to get a, a group out there to find a location and dig up these bodies. I don't know if there will be anything left to, to really study. I mean, it certainly would have been worth a, a shot to take somebody out there and, and try to find these bodies, but it could have been just nothing more than a wild goose chase.
1: Yeah, it's possible because I will say Art had a tendency of, you know, he, like he always used to tell me, you know, doing a show, it, it should be entertainment. It should be exciting, and he had a tendency of faking some shows, and uh you know, with his other friend Ham friends and stuff like Mel's Hole, you ever hear of that one mm-hmm. yeah that that one was uh, a, a fake one, and then you know it, he he couldn't believe after it was over with how many people believed it, so they then mm-hmm. they decided, okay, let's take this to the next level, and then they took it to another uh, level where they went in you know Nevada. And they, they, you know, there was another hole there and this ice stuff would burn. And it's just, you know, art was really good at that. And that's what I think made, you know, uh, a show entertaining because you had some, you know, fake stuff added in with, you know, good stuff. So, yeah, I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I I was an avid Art Bell follower for years and. The early days of Coast to Coast, when he hosted it, I, I listened as much as I possibly could, and I'm familiar with the Mel's whole story and that whole that just seemed to go on for eternity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that one quite well, but uh, yeah, there, there's been some stories out. there, some doozies that have come across the line. It, you really have to wonder if they're legitimate or if they're they're made up. And I guess some of the some of the ones we'll never really know.
1: No, that's, and if you did run across a a Bigfoot, you know, unless you get a picture of it or some type of proof, and even nowadays, a picture probably wouldn't even be good enough because I'll be honest with you, technology wise, you know, uh, you could go through and fake something very easily now that will fool experts uh, pretty much. So, I mean, the only way I hate to say this, I got in trouble a month ago when I said this, I, I think what it would really take and you can yell at me too, if you want, uh, is somebody out there, it runs into a Bigfoot, and hate to say it, shoot it, a- a- and, get, and get, bring back the proof. That way, then they can be put on an de- uh, endangered species, whatever the government wants to do, they can make a decision. Are they humanoid, non-humanoid? But that would end the whole story of do Bigfoot exist or not?
2: Oh, you're absolutely right, and I've been saying that for, for decades myself, that the only way to solve the mystery is to have a live or dead specimen presented to uh, a reputable um, team of scientists, either at a university or um, a veterinary clinic that, that can actually study it, and I hate to say it, they would have to kill the animal to dissect it to find out exactly you know, its internal workings and all that stuff, and then the next step would be to could either catch one and then release it with a tracking device on it into the wild so they could track its movement its, and study its behavior and its, uh, what it eats and all that stuff. So I'd have to agree with you. I'm not an advocate of killing one of these things. I never have been. But unfortunately, video today is so advanced that even Joe Public can get a hold of uh, an easy program and create cgi and i've seen it on youtube i've seen it on all the different social media platforms how easy it is to fake pictures and video now if it was a 35 millimeter camera that that took a picture or even somebody with uh, a real real camera that could take a picture that that film can be analyzed to to see if it's hoaxed or faked or anything has been put into that film that is not natural um like artifacts and whatnot so It's it's so easy to fake stuff these days, and and even if we were able to get a good video picture of a legitimate Bigfoot um, doing something in its own habitat, it would have to be something out of the realm of human capabilities. In other words, something that a human couldn't do, like leaping 20 feet straight up in the air or um, jumping across a huge ravine that we know a a human couldn't do, and even then it would be drawn into question, it's it's fake or you know it's cgi or photoshopped or whatever so uh, film isn't going to cut it um video isn't going to cut even the best hd film high definition film wouldn't cut it um it's just there's so there would be so many questions so much controversy surrounding it because it's so easy to manipulate things these days only a body live or dead is going to actually solve the mystery
1: oh yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have everything, you know, like you mentioned, the FBI that it turned out to be, you know, uh, deer hide and deer, uh, you know, uh, hair. I, I mean, some of the stuff, even like with feces, that has been sent in and tested. It turned out to be, you know, bear or something else and not Bigfoot. Hey, we're going to have to go on a break. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, Eric, we'll be back in about two and a half minutes. So if you want to get yourself a cup of Jabba, uh, we'll be back in two and a half minutes.
3: Porque no fim eu sei que vou tirar. Fala tchau pro seu batom na boca. E fala oi pra quem te faz pirar. Se você já tá com a mesma sensação, pode vir gente, que eu tô um bumbum. Tá descontrolada toda essa cara. E não para porque a coisa fica mara. Vou te ganhar no batom na boca e falar oi pra quem te faz pirar. E se você já tá com a mesma sensação, pode vir e que eu tô no vulcão, tá descontrolada toda essa cara e não para porque a coisa fica mara vou te ganhar no
2: If you would like to hear Night Dreams Talk Radio on your local radio station, let them know. Tell them to check out www.nightdreamstalkradio.com and thank you.
4: For the friendly voice, a radio, the people's choice. Music, weather, sports, and news, it's radio. The people choose. Everybody's swinging to the swinging voice, a radio, the people's choice. Big
5: fries, small fries, dawn to dawn, it's radio. The
6: turns of
0: Good evening or morning, depending on your time zone. From the Pacific to the Atlantic to you worldwide. Get yourself a cup of java and find a comfy, easy chair. And get ready for Gary and his guest on Night Dreams Talk Radio, After Dark. Oh, wow. And now, here's Gary.
1: Oh boy, I wasn't even used to that one. That's another new intro for the show. I uh, should have listened to it a little bit more. I wouldn't have just walked on myself. Anyway, tonight we got a great guest. we got Eric Altman in here. We're talking about Bigfoot. Now I'm going to try to shift it over to like Mothman, Dogman, and other type of cryptics. Are you there, uh, Eric? I'm here. Okay, what's your feeling about Mothman? There's been a lot of reports still going on about Mothman.
2: Yeah, the the Mothman phenomenon is a fascinating um, subject altogether. It's probably my second favorite cryptid, if you want to call it a cryptid. Um, The whole phenomenon began in a little town of uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia in 1966, and it rolled through to December of 67 before it pretty much stopped. And then, of course, the last few years, people have been claiming they've been seeing them all around the country, and specifically in the Chicago area, there's been a, a rash of supposed flying humanoid or mothman sightings out there. But it, it's a it's a fascinating subject simply because of not just the flying humanoid or moth or whatever it was aspect of it, but there's so much more to it than just that. There were... Um, Countless UFO sightings that were seen in the Ohio Valley during those years, just prior to and during the Mothman sightings, there were uh, rampant cases of par- uh, paranormal activity, uh, poltergeist activity, uh, people getting strange radio sounds, static sirens, hearing what almost would almost be described as a fire engine type sound coming through their radios and TV sets. And of course, the infamous men in black showed up in the town and were harassing witnesses and telling them not to talk about it uh following people through town stalking them showing up at people's doors and stuff like that so the whole mothman phenomenon itself wasn't just mothman going on in point pleasant west virginia it was actually a whole lot more to the story which makes it even more fascinating
1: oh yeah i had susan shepherd on oh maybe three weeks ago and Mm -hmm. uh she lives in that area and one of the well neighbors uh, it lives actually near her. Uh, you know, they claimed that at that time they saw a creature and they were in their house and all of a sudden they were hearing noises coming out of their barn. So they, you know, kind of locked up the house and sent their dog out, uh, you know, and the dog ran to the, uh, the, the barn and all of a sudden, you know, that you hear the growling and barking of the dog and then you hear like the demise of the dog and then supposedly like a mothman creature came out of the uh the barn you know carrying the dog and uh, they went out in you know to double check anyway and uh, they saw blood but they didn't see the dog and unfortunately supposedly whatever it is took off with the dog but then the, i guess the next morning what she was saying that uh, somebody found the same type of dog that they had you know down the road next to a sign or it looked like it was dropped.
2: Yeah, that that's an interesting case. Um, the gentleman's name is, escapes me at the moment, but what happened with that case is um, the husband and wife were, and this didn't actually take place in Mount Pleasant, or, uh, Point Pleasant. It took place pretty far away, okay. um, uh, probably about a half an hour to an hour drive away from them, maybe 50 miles. And uh, they were watching TV at night, and they began to hear this strange sound come over their television set, that sounded like a uh, air raid siren. And they, they were beating on the side of the TV, trying to get it stopped, turning the TV off and on, it just kept going on and on. And meanwhile, they had a dog, a German Shepherd, that was out front on the porch, and uh, the attention was drawn to the dog who was outside barking. They look out in the field, and in the field they saw these red lights uh, whirling around the field, almost like, they looked like bike reflectors, but they were... They were ambient lights that were glowing on their own. They were moving around the uh, the field, and their dog, they, they called it Bandit. They, the, the dog Bandit took off across the field towards these lights and disappeared. They never saw the, the dog again. It vanished, and the, the lights disappeared, too. They never saw a Mothman, and they never saw the, the Mothman kill the dog, but it was thought the Mothman was responsible. However, nothing was ever seen except for these strange red lights. And then um, the next day... Um, in Point Pleasant, there were two couples that went out to the old TNT area, where they were uh, they were just driving around the old abandoned TNT area. And the TNT area was an old abandoned factory that the United States government had used to create TNT for World War II. They, they would uh, supply explosives and all the chemicals that were cre- used to create the explosives. So it earned the nickname TNT. And that's where they had their first the, the first encounter or sighting of Mothman took place. At that TNT area, and as the couple was being chased back to town by this Mothman creature, after they had seen it, they passed a dead dog on the road that looked like a dead German Shepherd. They thought what they thought possibly could have been bandit, but no one ever stopped to check to make sure that you know it was the same dog or not. They just saw a dead German Shepherd on the side of the road. But that's a really compelling case because that's that's pretty much you know what kicked off every all the the whole phenomenon going on in Point Pleasant was this one encounter this guy had. And again, he, he didn't see the moth, man. All he saw were these red lights whirling around in the field out, out, out uh, away from his house, and his dog charged after them and then disappeared, and they never saw bandit again after that.
1: Well, see, that proves how stories can change. <laughs> so, you know, that's a little bit different than what I heard. So and your yours makes a lot more logical sense of, you know, what happened. But, you know, weren't they having a lot of sightings in that area of UFOs, too, at the same time frame?
2: Oh yeah, there was there was UFOs going on, sightings going on all across the Ohio Valley at that time. Even prior to the Mothman showing up, um, there were UFO sightings reported almost on a daily basis by folks in the Ohio Valley, not just in, in Point Pleasant, but across the Ohio River and small little Ohio towns as well. And that was going on long before the the supposed Mothman showed up. Interesting.
1: Yeah, too, you know, like uh, when she was on, she was talking about, you know, the men in black, you know, Mm -hmm. were going around and interviewing people and what the story is, and maybe you might know it better than what I was told, but the men in black drove up like in a like new old cars, you know, cars that like were 10 years old or older, but they look like brand new. And you know how men used to dress like in the late 50s, early 60s, they were all dressed in black, wore a black hat, you know, black sunglasses, black everything with slick hair. Uh, That's the descriptions that, uh, you know, supposedly that was being given out of these uh, men in uh, black that were all in the area at that time.
2: Yeah, during the, the Mothman flap of sightings, these mysterious men started showing up in, in Point Pleasant, and they were driving these older model vehicles, but they looked new. Mm-hmm. They were all black in color, and then the men were wearing black suits with white shirts, black ties, black uh, fedora hats or, or black hats, sunglasses, and they had a very strange, like, olive complexion skin, emotionless, um, and they were, they were seen walking around town spying on people, uh, they would drive to the home of eyewitnesses who saw the Mothman or had any kind of UFO sighting, and they would forewarn them to not talk about the, the uh, their encounters, trying to like get them to silence them. Mary Heyer was a, a newspaper reporter in Point Pleasant at that time, and she was even visited by what could have been a man in black, a very small version of a man in black. Almost a midget showed up at her office and uh, stole one of her pens from her desk, and the whole time he was giggling and laughing maniacally, and and she was kept saying, "What, what do you want? What can I do for you?" And, and he finally left. But he was wearing the same kind of attire as, as what a man in black, a man in black would be described wearing. So yeah, they were they were prominent around the Point Pleasant area, almost like they were trying to intimidate eyewitnesses from talking further on it. And and they would show up people's at people's homes or follow them around the area or even call them on the phone. And uh, no one knows where they came from and no one knows where they they disappeared. But throughout history and and, and especially the last 30 or 40 years, there's been quite a number of incidents where people have had encounters with men in black.
1: Yeah, you know, I I have a a theory and you can tell me if it's crazy, which I think it really is. But I'm going to say it anyway. You know, back, you know, before digital TV, you know, going back, you know, 30, 40 years, you know, the AM or not the AM, but the transmitters you know, for a broadcast, you know, TV band, you know, they were really high powered and, you know, and a low frequency and, uh, the signals would, you know, to travel out in space, who knows how long it would take, you know, like leave it to beaver or um, uh, father knows best to go out there. Right. And, and maybe get picked up by another civilization or, you know, scout ship or whatever, And then they they view it and think this is what the people on Earth, the creatures on Earth, you know, look like. And this is the type of contraptions they drive. So maybe when they came here, they dressed the part, drove the part. But the problem is maybe they were 10 years or 15 years uh, off on their their timing.
2: Uh, I couldn't answer that. Anything's possible, I guess. Um, These men in black show up and no one really knows if they're with the government or with a special division of the government, a secret division of the government, or they're extraterrestrial. No one really knows, but um, I've talked to other researchers over the years and other people who have written books on the subject matter, and uh, I've looked into it a little bit myself, and they don't seem to be the typical person, a human being. Like I mentioned, um, some of the ones that showed up in Point Pleasant had an olive drab skin color to them and they just seem so emotionless and lack of any kind of empathy or you know that all their their whole mission was just to get people to stop talking about the phenomenon so they they could be an extraterrestrial race they could be part of a, a secretive uh, level of the government that we're not aware of that that their specifically their job is to shut people up and stop talking about the phenomenon i, I don't know but uh they they've been seen by many many people and not just in one particular area across the country if not across the, around the world they've been witnessed and encountered so it's a, it's a pretty well known prominent the uh thing that's going on people are experiencing them and seeing them and, and having run-ins with these men in black
1: yeah that well you know even if it was the government you know d- doing that psychologically okay uh, to intimidate people not to talk. I think the majority of people, if you get somebody met, you know dressed in black, kind of doesn't look like they quite fit in. Uh, would be enough to make you kind of scared, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, it, it, so it definitely would be an intimidation um, factor involved. Especially if they're showing up in business suits and looking very professional and talking professional and 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 trying to persuade people not to talk about their experience. Yeah, that would that would be intimidating for sure.
1: Now, too, I was going to say, Joe Taylor, who is a person in Texas, has a museum. He works for different museums, you know, across the country, putting dinosaur bones and and back together, uh, you know, reconstructing them for the museums and, you know, and repairing them and all that stuff. He uh, was on my show about a month ago, and he had a friend uh, that her friend supposedly was going to town and saw... Uh, a person in the middle of the road and hit it. And she thought she hit a human. Now she claimed she got out of the car. Okay. And uh, she realized that this human had wings and it had, you know, the glowing eyes and it stared at her. And then all of a sudden it kind of like flew off. And the, the, what I said to Joe, I said, did they ever think about taking that vehicle in, you know, right away and get DNA? Cause I, I guess supposedly it also put a dent on the driver's side fender, uh, you know, to see if you could get any DNA off of it. And nobody thought about it. So I, again, maybe that's another, again, a, a hoax or whatever, but you know, that was an interesting, you know, report. And that happened recently.
2: Yeah. It certainly is. and, it's funny, I, I, I ask people all the time, did you think about doing this, did you think about doing that? And they're not thinking about that at the time. They're, they're frightened, they, they don't know what they experienced, and they just want to either get out of the area as quickly as they can or try to forget about the situation because it's something, as I mentioned earlier in the show, it, something like that that happens to people that they're not expecting it to happen or they've been taught and brought up that those things don't exist and then it happens to them, that can be quite traumatic. And what the general public fails to realize, and even scientists fail to realize, that people who have these experiences aren't scientifically minded. Um, some, I'm sure there are some that are, but the majority of them aren't. And when they have an experience like that, they're not thinking, well, I should get a blood sample or a tissue sample, or I should take a picture or video or whatever. They've had a very traumatic experience, and they either want to forget about it or... They want to try to get as quickly away from that situation as possible. And by the time they think about, well, maybe I should have gotten a picture or I should have collected uh, stuff off that dent or if there was blood or tissue, I should have turned that in for DNA. By that time, it's, it's way too late. It's, it's contaminated, and it's not going to yield anything. Um, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. This happened to me this past weekend. I, was, uh, I hosted a Bigfoot event in Pennsylvania, and I was on my way to that event, and in the car with me, I had a, uh, a doctor, uh, his name is Dr. Jeff Meldrum, and he's the leading, one of the leading scientific minds in the field, um, scientific authorities, that is looking into the Bigfoot phenomenon. He was one of our special guests. And we were discussing Bigfoot, and, and he's, he, he's an anthropologist. He has a background in primate anatomy and, and uh, um, foot, mo- foot morphology and foot structure and anatomy of animals in general. And we were talking about a variety of different things when all of a sudden out of the roadway on our right runs this animal, and it ran across the road very quickly in front of our vehicle, maybe two car lengths in front of us, and crossed the road. And what was unique about this animal was it was completely void of hair. It looked almost, we, our first thought was it was a marsupial, maybe a kangaroo or something. And here we are in southwestern Pennsylvania. Why would there be a kangaroo? Yeah. Out here, they're they're not common or native. But it turned out it was. We got a, a better look at it as we slowed down and looked. But by the time it was across the road and, and heading into the brush, we realized that it was a, a mangy fox. Uh, it was nothing more than a fox that you know lost all its fur because of parasites. And just that fleeting glimpse, not, we all had cell phones with us. We all had you know cell phone cameras, and we're sitting there BSing and talking. And this thing runs across the road so quick. And even though it was a common animal, for me to pull up my phone and take a picture it was gone in a matter of seconds and for us to to first look at it and then finally realize what it was a common person seeing that can have a misidentification and that animal's gone and they're not thinking picture they're not thinking oh that was a mangy fox they're they're seeing something they've seen before never experienced before and by the time it's over they're they're realizing what the heck did i see and as i said it's either that fight or flight you know they're either going to sit there and think, well, maybe I should get DNA or I should get a picture or video. By the time it, it, it comes around to that, it's, it's over and done with, and there's no picture you know, video they, they can take or no DNA they can collect. So um, the public is sadly misinformed if they think, you know, oh, you have a Bigfoot encounter or a Mothman encounter, let's get a video or a picture or something that, to prove it's real. By the time it's over and said and done with, yeah, there's there's no opportunity to get that information.
1: Oh, yeah. And at least you guys had closure on it. So you got right. to see what it was before it disappeared. And so, I mean, yeah. that makes it better. But I bet when you first saw it, though, I bet your heart was just pounding.
2: Oh, we were like, whoa, what, what in the world is that thing? Because it happened so quick. I thought at first it was a dog coming across the road, but then I realized it was completely void of hair. There wasn't a patch of hair on it at all. And as I said, it looked like a marsupial when it bounded across the road. And I'm thinking, well, what, what the heck is a kangaroo or a wallaby doing out here? This is, this is the United States, and unless somebody's got a weird-looking pet, that, <laughs> that shouldn't be there. And it was, it was quite exciting. We, had, we were talking about it for quite some time afterwards, but just the, the whole incident that happened in a matter of maybe five to six seconds, and it was over with was quite exhilarating i mean it 's something you don 't normally see every day as a mangy fox or a mangy bear or something like that
1: oh yeah i, I can guarantee that would get my heart going you know here 's the thing a lot of people think, and there 's a couple of things going on, but uh, i 'll start off with this, Joe Taylor, like i said he you know he 's been all over the world, you know Africa, egypt, you name it, gathering dinosaur bones, you know, reconstructing them for museums, you know this he claims many years ago, he was in Africa in one of the little villages, and a uh, hunter came back and claimed that he saw a dinosaur, and uh, that he thought he killed it. Now, there's reports of dinosaurs yet today in Africa ever so often, depending on whereabouts in Africa. Now, these aren't dinosaurs that you know are 30 feet, 40 feet. they're like eight feet, six feet. Whatever what he claims. But the next morning they went there or the the hunter uh, claims that uh, he saw the uh, miniature T-Rex. Matter of fact, Uh, the hunter was about ready to kill a pig. And all of a sudden, this like little T-Rex grabs the pig, has the pig in his mouth. So he threw a spear and uh, into the T-Rex. And the next morning, here's the the story is, here's the T-Rex with the pig still, you know, in its mouth, uh, you know, dead. And uh, it was about six feet. Now, I don't know if that was a hoax, but he claims that, uh, that, you know, he spent a lot of years in the jungles at one point, you know, going through looking for, you know, whatever. And uh, there's been all kinds of sightings of those type of creatures. So if that is true then 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 Bigfoot or anything else could maybe possibly exist.
2: Yeah, I I've heard people talk about these supposed dinosaurs existing like the Machelie Mbembe is supposed to live in along the um the uh from what I heard in South America they they've seen it. Um it's supposed to be like um What's the dinosaur called? the uh, The vegetable, the vegetarian dinosaur. Um, yeah, I... I, the name escapes me. I apologize, but the people have claimed they've seen that, um, and, and the T Rexes. I've heard that too. But along the same lines of thinking of Bigfoot, where's the evidence? You know, where's the physical proof that these things are existing? All we have are stories of people seeing. That. If the guy, the hunter, truly speared a T Rex with a pig in its mouth, you would think. That, that he would take that to somebody and say, Hey, look what I killed. And then where we get out and they'd have you know, a scientific team or somebody come and examine it. Supposedly, he, he,
1: this, supposedly the local government did. But uh, again, now I've also had a couple of scientists on my show that says, said that, yeah, dinosaurs could exist in today, but the auction content is not like it was in the prehistoric uh, time. So there's no way a dinosaur could be 30 feet, 40, 60 or whatever the feet, you know, in, in diameter. They would be kind of a scaled down miniature, you know, uh, of it because the auction content couldn't support their life.
2: But I mean, well, I'm sure that I'm sure that the Amazon jungle and parts of Africa that are very remote may have animals that we haven't discovered yet. They make discoveries every day of insects and, and different types of animals, primates. They've re- recently discovered different types of primates that weren't thought to exist. So I guess anything is possible, but until I see hard evidence or, or proof that these T-Rex, many T-Rexes are running around, or or more than just stories, that's all they are to me, are stories. Okay. I, I don't think the climate is, is uh, designed to to be a good habitat for these, these animals. But then again, I, I don't know everything. I'm not a scientist. So that's just my personal opinion.
1: Yeah, that's, I, that's why I stressly. I think, you know, it would end the story of Bigfoot one way or another if they could actually, I, I hate to say it, get one at sights and shoot it and, and get, bring it back and give it to the authorities and let them examine it and figure out what it is. You know, going back into the 1920s up in Seattle, The old uh, coal-fired power plant, there was reports of a hairy man, you know, uh, running, you know, down and and going through, you know, and stealing food, uh, going through garbage cans and stuff like that. And it was reported for quite a few years, and then all of a sudden it quit. So, you know, and that, you know, has been documented both, you know, by at that time by the police, newspapers and all that stuff. Again, we don't know what it was. Maybe it was some guy. It was, you know, extremely hairy running around naked. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Those reports are commonplace. If you go back in history and look at the the newspaper archives, um, if you look up wild men reports, you'll find so many. I have so many of the reports myself on file that I put into binders and I collect them for myself that, Again, Bigfoot wasn't coined, that, that name Bigfoot wasn't given until 1958, so before that they were known as wild men, because nobody really knew what they were. They were just this wild, hairy thing that lived in the forest that, that stole livestock and chickens and killed cows, and, and like I mentioned earlier, people them down in posses with pitchforks and torches, but they never successfully found the animals, and those, those stories about you know, these hairy wild men raiding garbage and, and coming into small local communities to look for food, that doesn't surprise me. There there are articles out there like that. So whether or not it was a Bigfoot or not or maybe a homeless guy, who knows? Anything's possible. But, um, yeah, there are, there are tons of stories like that that have been around for for decades. If you do some research, you can find a lot of that information online or even – and, and, and if you go to the local library and ask them to see some historical documents or even newspaper archives, you, you can find a lot of those stories are prevalent.
1: Yeah, what I find because of the age of the Internet, okay, you know, somebody can go post something, right, on Facebook, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden millions of people see it. And then, you know, it, so you can create a hoax really fast or, or whatever. But if you go back before the Internet, Okay, let's go back to the 1920s or even before that. I mean, there's been all these sightings of all these weird things, you know, like Bigfoot or what have you, the hairy man or the wild man and, and, and all across the country. So I, I find it so strange and going back even to the um, American natives and uh you know, uh it, 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 it has to have some type of uh, base behind it at one point, because I, it, to be all over the country and all over Canada and all these places, not just in the United States and Canada, and even in Europe, it, it just makes me wonder if there has to be some truth behind it at, one, at least at one time.
2: Oh, sure. I mean, there's there's historical records. It's not just a, a phenomenon that's occurring in one locality. It's not just British Columbia or Vancouver in Canada. It's not just the United States. Every continent has some sort of bipedal creature, tale or legend. I mean, Australia has it. China has it. Russia has it. Eastern Europe has it. Um, there's even reports in England and Scotland of these hairy creatures. and it, It's not just a... a a phenomenon that occurs in one place. It's not something that just was brought up, you know, as an Internet internet story like the Slender Man or something like that. This has been around for hundreds of years. Um, Thousands of people have witnessed it across our country and other countries as well. Um, There are documented cases that go back well into the 18, if not 1700s. Um, Our Native American history has stories and tales about the tribes either coexisting with or being at war with these creatures. Um, there's so much, I would call it anecdotal evidence, or coincidental evidence, circumstantial evidence that, in a court of law, it would it would win hands down. However, the scientific community that to all that all that information, all that data, all the history means nothing because to them it's just folklore that's been passed down generation to generation. They want physical hard concrete evidence that they can study, they can touch, they can tear apart, they can uh, compare it to other data that they have, other animals that they have, and then, they, then they'll finally come forward and say, yes, this creature is real. But the good thing, as I mentioned earlier on the show, there are scientists that are slowly starting to get involved in, in the phenomenon. Uh, we just lost Dr. John Binder-Nagel from uh, British Columbia um, he passed away not too long ago from cancer, and he was a wildlife biologist. and He written several books on the Bigfoot phenomenon, and I, I became good friends with him and talked with him at length at several occasions. and We both came to the conclusion that you know the scientific community definitely needs a body. That's the only way that they're going to you know, accept that this creature is real. and Dr. Meldrum, who I'm also friends with, he's a he's a foot expert. I mean, he he studies primate anatomy and foot morphology, and he's looked at some of these casts that have been collected from everywhere. He has over three or 400 casts in his collection, probably the largest collection in the world, and he can tell you for, for certain, without doubt, that these casts were made from the track of a living foot, not a cardboard or a wood cutout or a, you know, something that's been attached to a, a, a shoe that people are tromping around faking feet. They've actually come from a real foot, from a real animal. So he's convinced that there's there's something to this phenomenon. He won't go on record saying yes, Bigfoot is real, but he's convinced that there's something that's leaving these footprints, and it definitely needs further study by the scientific community.
1: Oh yeah, I, I wish the government would take it kind of serious, you know, and and probably you know and have a grant where they could really go out and do you know the research. You know, back uh, one of the cable uh, channels you know, recently had a show, you know, going out looking for Bigfoot. I, I watched that a couple times, and I, I, I turned it off, and I, I started laughing. I, I, You know, you're going to take, like, 13, 14 people out looking for Bigfoot, making all this noise, carrying lights, carrying cameras, and you're going to see a Bigfoot? That wasn't going to ever happen.
2: Now, those those TV shows are, are basically for entertainment purposes, but um, in answer to your question about the government getting involved, in, in a way, I would kind of like to see them sub- donate money or a grant or something like that, but in a w- and also in a way, I wouldn't want to see them get involved because we know that the government can be corrupt and they can do things for their own benefit, and, and even if Bigfoot does exist, it may, to them, pose a potential threat to, let's say, the logging industry or to religious beliefs, because there are, there are those who believe that the, the creatures are, are, are from the biblical times, because if you read the Bible, they talk about giants in the, the, the Bible, in many different chapters. But there could be a variety of reasons why the government would want to cover, cover up Bigfoot being real or legitimate. So in a way, it'd be kind of nice to get the government behind some studies, but I think in the end, they would cover it up for their own interests or for what they felt were the best interest of us, and we'd never get an answer one way or the other. So I would like to see... Um, the scientific community, not government-related, um, actually doing the research and the work um, to prove this animal is, is real and does exist. And then once they do, they're sure, then the government can and put a, a protection, a species protection act in place to protect it from going extinct, or you know, at least from people poaching and going out and hunting and shooting it.
1: Yeah, but you know, again, looking at maybe the other side of this how many years have people been going out in the woods looking for Bigfoot and actually never see one? And and uh, it, again, yeah, they get the reports of the rock throwing or you hear the tree knocks or rocks, you know, hitting each other or the pine cones being thrown at the people. But it it just, you know, I would think, you know, that there would be more evidence than that, you know, I, I tell, again, I'm, I'm being honest with you. Even what ever I saw, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it was, and I was it a Bigfoot? I don't know. Was it a guy dressed up in a Bigfoot outfit? I don't think so. Could it be a a guy? It, it uh, you know, uh, it that uh, is living out in nature. It weighed maybe four hundred, five hundred pounds. I don't know about that either. But I I can tell you that there's something out there, and you know, like you mentioned. Too, they're always finding something new that they figured it never would be uh, exist at this time frame. But you know what? This, things are washing up a couple times a month on a beach that they look at. And they go, "Wow, that should have been extinct um, a million years ago." So it, it's always things out there, you know, that are you know happening. And, and maybe the government does know Bigfoot exists, but the same way, like the UFO community right now, all of a sudden you have what people are thinking, oh, wow, it's a lot of disclosure. But you got at least the Navy's you know, admitting, you know, that they might be UFOs and they're actually taking it serious now when their pilots report, you know, UFOs. So maybe things will slowly start, you know, materializing where, you know, things will start, you know, coming out.
2: Well, I find it fascinating now, especially now in the last five, five, ten years. But Bigfoot is such a hot topic; it's become a main um, symbol in pop culture status. Where there's Bigfoot beef jerky, there's movies, there's TV shows. It's it you can't it's advertising. You can't swing a dead cat with something coming up Bigfoot related. And it's become ingrained in the minds of a lot of people that, you know, Bigfoot is this fun, hip, cool thing now. And it's not taboo. It's not something that people should be afraid to talk about. It's popular. And it's been popular for the last couple of years, much like ghost hunting, much like UFOs and stuff like that. So it's not surprising that the government came forward and... and, even with the UFO phenomenon, they, they're looking into it now. I don't necessarily think they're they're acknowledging alien existence as much as they are acknowledging there may be advanced aircraft that other countries have that we're not familiar with. And a UFO is simply an unidentified flying object. It doesn't mean necessarily it's an alien craft, but they could be looking at the phenomenon of UFOs as um, advanced technology the Russians have or China or some other major major country has that we're not familiar with that we don't understand yet and that, that that could be what they're really trying to put out there to the public we don't we don't really know but and the whole Bigfoot and, and all the all the paranormal now is so, so mainstream and so popular that nothing surprises me anymore oh, yeah. um, when this stuff comes out and I hear about it or read about it I think to myself you know, I've been at this for a long long time looking into it and studying it and and trying to understand it, and it's a great mystery, it really is. Um, there's something to the phenomenon of Bigfoot, whether or not it's real, I can't say. Um, I've never had a sighting myself, um, I haven't been that fortunate, but I've had the rocks thrown at me, and I've had some really weird things happen in the woods, and heard weird, really weird things that I can't explain, um, and I've talked to hundreds of eyewitnesses who have had something happen to them, or they've seen the, the actual creature I, I've been across the country, and I've been up into Canada. Um, I've done a lot of my research on the East Coast, but I've been to the Pacific Northwest and Texas and some of the other, pl- other hot spots across the country, and I've seen the habitat. and It doesn't surprise me when people say there could be a Bigfoot living in this area because some of their, those areas are still pretty remote and isolated, and people just don't go into them. So, But again, nothing surprises me anymore with what the government comes out with, what they disclose, what they don't disclose, what their intentions are or not.
1: Oh, well, I agree with you on that too, you know, because, but I, I look at things logically. Okay. You know, when it comes least to UFOs, I just look at, we can't be the only humanoid uh, creatures out there that, you know, it, we'd be so naive if we say, Hey, our planet's the only one that has life on it to, to involve, you know, involved where we are right now. I just can't believe that uh, thinking logically I, I, I think there is other, you know, whatever on life on other planets out there. Are they smarter than us of more advancedness? I don't know. But, uh, you know, all I can say is there's a lot of things going on. And, and it you know, I find I've been in the paranormal myself since 1976 on my first radio show. Uh, it was a talk show. I thought it was going to be top 40. But when I went in there to, to start my job, they said, no, we converted over to. Talk radio. So you're doing paranormal. I didn't even know what paranormal was back in 1976, but I've heard a lot. And I will say this, uh, Art Bell, if it wasn't for him, I don't think it would be people talking about, you know, ghosts as much as we are. We wouldn't be talking about Bigfoot or UFOs or cryptics. If it wasn't for him, you know, he's the one that started making it, you know, mainstream where people weren't scared to talk about it.
2: Oh, I agree. Art Bell was definitely a pioneer, and, and he really brought those those topics, those fringe topics to the forefront. But there were a lot of folks before him that were doing that as well. And, and uh, Arthur C. Clarke, for example, oh, yeah. he, he had a show about the UFOs and strange phenomenon. And we can't forget In Search of with Leonard Nimoy and his program that ran for several seasons about a variety of different paranormal and UFO topics, Bigfoot topics. It has always been something in the media, but definitely Art Bell was one of the pioneers to get the to really get out there the mainstream masses, especially on his radio show Coast to Coast when he started it, and and really getting out the word, and then moving on to Midnight in the Desert, which was the last show he he did before he passed, and uh, yeah, he's definitely um, one of the pioneers to really make the paranormal and UFOs and cryptids more acceptable and uh, more welcome to the general public than anyone else, as far as I'm aware of.
1: Oh, yeah, because I remember when I, like I said, when I first started doing the paranormal talk shows on various stations, I actually, people would ask me, what did you do? And I would say, I worked in a radio station. I didn't even, I was so, not ashamed, but I I didn't want to tell people what what my show was about. Because when you start saying, oh, I I do a paranormal talk show back then, they go, well, what do you talk about? Oh, we talk about, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, ghosts. We talk about UFOs. We talk about, and people would look at you like you were strange.
2: Yeah, surprisingly, um, and I've worked very closely with a gentleman by the name of Stan Gordon. He's a, a sixty-year-plus researcher in the, in the field of UFOs and cryptids. And I, I was I was very young in the early nineteen seventies, probably about three or four years old, seventy-three, seventy-four, and. During that time, there were huge outbreaks of Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings across the country, and and several areas had ongoing flaps of these sightings. And the media didn't look down on the topic at that time. They reported very factually what was going on and and presented the the sightings. And it was, some places it was almost a daily occurrence where there were Bigfoot sightings or UFO sightings, and they they presented it very matter-of-factly. But as they moved into the late 70s, early 80s, it became almost like a a running joke. And I think the reason for that is because there was never any concrete proof presented. And it became more and more of crackpots telling stories and making stuff up and hoaxes. And nobody took it seriously after the late, mid to late 1970s. It became a running joke. So I can understand where you're coming from, where you were hosting a paranormal show and having people laugh at you and ridicule you and and it just roll their eyes because it wasn't something that was main, mainstream accepted at that time.
1: No, it wasn't. I mean, you know, you, you know, and I, you know, I had an encounter myself, like of a UFO back in the, I think, around 1974, in the desert of uh, New Mexico. Now, I did I see a UFO? No, but I saw my whole inside of the car light up like daylight. And I pull off the side of the road. I open the car door, and it was intense bright. You know, I was in the military. I served. I know what helicopters sound like. I thought it was a helicopter. I was because I was speeding. I think they had a a speed limit of like 100 miles an hour or something weird back then. And I I figured, okay, I'm going to get busted. And my wife was freaked out because the light was so intense. But I opened the car door and with a matter of a second or two, poof, it was gone. Now, was that a UFO? I don't have the slightest idea. Was it something that the government was testing out? I don't know. And it wasn't certainly a helicopter. I can say that.
2: Yeah, I've, heard, I've talked to other witnesses who had similar experiences and, and reports like that, and there's really no explanation for it, and unless you saw what it was, it, it still remains a mystery. But back then, if you would have gone to somebody and reported that with your wife in the car with you, you wouldn't have been called a crackpot or you wouldn't have been said, you know, he's doing drugs or he's making it up or he's looking for attention. It would have gotten some serious press, and, and the media or the newspaper would have printed the story taking it seriously. Now, you would have probably caught, made fun of from the locals in the area of town folk or, you know, or your friends or relatives, but the media back then would have printed the story without being a tongue-in-cheek story like they do today. Um, so a lot has changed in the last 30 or 40 years. I think as we progressed to this point, and there hasn't been a lot of closure when it comes to the variety of different paranormal topics, UFOs, cryptids, whatever, I think the media does start to take it more in a, a tongue-in-cheek kind of way because there there isn't really anything to prove that these things are real. And you would think after 40, 50, 100 years of these reports going on and people experiencing things, there would be more physical, concrete proof. But in your point to saying that we're the only ones out there in this universe that exist, an intelligent race, I would have to agree with you. I think... We're not alone. I think there are things out there that uh, other probably intelligent beings that probably visit this Earth, and can I prove that? No, but if you look at the, the vast universe and, and the daily discoveries they're, they're finding with the, the different types of telescopes and satellites and, and getting all the imagery of new planets, that there has to be life out there. We can't be the only ones in the universe that, that are an intelligent life. There's just so many worlds... And, and we're, we're just one small galaxy in this huge universe Who's to say what's out there. And if, if it's possible that these things are coming to visit us, to study us and find out what makes us tick
1: or to eat us <laughs> That's a bad joke, but it, it, hey, <laughs> that might never,
2: be a possibility too.
1: They could be, but you know, it's funny too, I was reading this week that, you know, the government's going to f- uh, fund again for, they can actually use the, you know, radio telescopes to go out and look for, you know, life out in space. In which all of a sudden, you know, the government all of a sudden freeing up the money uh, to do it. The bad thing is right now is because of the Internet things, especially I hate to say it, Facebook. There are so many hoaxers out there. I don't Mm -hmm. care if it's on UFOs or Bigfoot or ghost hunting. It it, it is so scary that that most of it is. I don't know. Like when I was talking to you about the. uh, uh, mothman uh, thing you know the story i got was a little bit different than yours things change and then when somebody posts something on facebook they oh this is interesting and then they turn around and you know create a new story about it and boof it's right there what i will say i get a mass amount of books a week from writers you know and in the paranormal everything from cryptics to ufos to bigfoot I mean, there isn't a week I don't get a stack of books. And I will say this. I, I do read, you know, not the whole entire book, but I skim through it. And I found a lot of these books, especially on UFOs and some cryptics. Okay. It seems like somebody's read somebody else's book and they like it. So they decide I'm going to write a book. They kind of steal the, the person's book that they read or a combination of books, change some wording around And now they come out with a new book uh, on UFOs, for example. And I have never seen this, and it uh, it seems like it's happened in the last couple years. Maybe it's because now people can self-publish books really cheap, put it up on Amazon, and they're trying to get rich.
2: Yeah, I've seen that, too, where there's been a lot of folks that steal other people's data and information and use it for themselves. They change it. Uh, It happens anywhere. Uh, I tell people on Facebook that I get so many messages sent to me and so many posts sent to me saying, hey, look at this latest Bigfoot thing. Oh, they found a dead Bigfoot in this area, or they found a dead Bigfoot in that area. I get like 30 or 40 of them from different people saying, look what we found. And I tell those folks, did you bother to read the article and see that it came from a website that states clearly on the website this website is for entertainment purposes only. Dead giveaway. <laughs> so that that story's made up. It's not a legit story. But people believe whatever they see on Facebook is the gospel truth, and that's not the case. And even with a lot of these authors, they they take liberties and they take other people's stories or cases, well-known cases, and they they fit it to what they want it to be. They make it to fit their mold, and then they release that information. So you have even with the, a books coming out. You have to be very careful of what you believe and what you, what you think is real because a lot of it is refabricated or even modified or changed. And even with stories, like we talked about the Mothman encounter with the, the dog um, disappearing into the field, how that changed. Um, you were told one version. I know the other version because I've talked to um, Jeff Walmsley, who's one of the leading Mothman experts, and, and he told me what really happened. And it's completely different than, the, you know, the dog running into the barn and being killed by Mothman and seeing, you know, that that didn't happen. So it's, it's interesting how stories can change and morph and, and people have their own versions of the story. So I just tell people to be careful what you read, be careful what you see on the Internet, because it can be hoaxed and fabricated and changed. And a lot of things can happen that aren't really the truth.
1: Yeah. Now you do a podcast, don't you? Or did do a podcast?
2: Yeah, I did a, a paranormal podcast from 2007 to um, 2017. And, and I actually, I stopped doing the podcast for a while due to health reasons. But um, it, was, it, was a, it wasn't really a podcast. It was a weekly live show. And then the, the show would be archived and people could listen to it like a podcast. But it was a live show. It was called Beyond the Edge Radio. And we covered a variety of topics from um, the paranormal all the way through true crime unsolved mysteries conspiracies we looked at pretty much everything because there's a lot of strange things and topics out there that we wanted to cover and uh we we tried our best to be objective and uh to to really present the information in a a truthful factual manner um i think we did pretty well for 10 years being on the air but yeah we've been off the air for about two years now and, and uh the the podcasts are out there available for folks if they want to tune in and listen to it and
1: how can they find it
2: uh, if they just go to any search engine and type in Beyond the Edge Radio, uh, you'll find several different podcasts um, hosting companies that, like uh, Blog Talk Radio or uh, Podomatic or iTunes or Stitcher Radio or anything like that. Um, we have shows that are archived. I think we have well over four or 500 shows out there for the public that they can check out.
1: Now, did you find it interesting sometimes when you had guests on that – you, you, you had to mute your microphone at times out of curiosity?
2: Oh, yes, quite frequently. We had guests on the show that I didn't agree with, or I thought were really off the deep end, and I, I just found it difficult to get through the interview with them. Um,
0: I'll
2: give you one example, and I won't name her name, but we had a woman on that claimed that she talked to angels, and she had claimed that she was sitting in traffic in Los Angeles one day in rush hour traffic, where the uh, traffic wasn't moving. And the angels were talking to her in her car. And I happened to ask her, I said, was your radio on? She goes, come to think of it, yes, it was. And I said, well, not it possible you were hearing the voices in the radio talking? She said, I never thought of that.
1: <laughs> you know, I had, so, yeah, go ahead.
2: I was going to say, yeah, we, we had all kinds of people on the show. Some of we, Some we felt were very legitimate, objective researchers that really did their due diligence and homework and brought credibility to their subject matters. Others that we didn't think were worth having on the show or having back on the show again.
1: Oh yeah. I had one and I'm not going to, again, I won't mention her name, but she was a doctor, you know, and, uh, I checked out her credentials and yes, uh, you know, she was what she claimed. And, you know, I did a pre-interview for about an hour, you know, a week before bringing her on the show and we, I knew what we were supposed to be talking about. All of a sudden she gets on and we're talking about aliens and, and all of a sudden she says they communicate with her in her sleep at night and that, uh, she goes off to this, uh, uh, alternate universe. They talk to her. Uh, then she starts going into like, there's 25 million cloaked UFOs circulating earth to protect earth and then I start hmm. thinking, oh my god, I got 2 hours of this.
2: <laughs> yeah, that happens sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and as, a, as a radio host, is I'm sure you you know you got to make the best of the situation as you can, or dump them and, and go to a, a pre-recorded program. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: yeah, I I would I wish I was smart enough to have done that. And then I had one on my show, and I'm not going to you know because we're almost out of time here. I just want to say I had one that his agent was contacting me on a regular basis. This guy is supposed to you know be an expert on you know like vampires of. Mm-hmm. Uh, The Walking Dead. He wrote a book about it and uh, kept saying, oh, he'll be perfect on your show. And so I, you know, after about two months of, you know, getting these emails like a couple times a week, I okay, I'm going to bring him on the show. And we started talking. He he mentioned the name of his book. And I said, well, what can you tell me about it? Well, I don't want to talk about, you know, my book because I don't want to give any plots away. And I and, and I start saying, "Well, can you tell me anything?" Oh, yeah. There's a, a a a boy and his sister. And I go, "Okay, well." And then it's like kind of a Living Dead, you know, Walking Dead type of book. He wouldn't talk about his book. I had him on for two hours. I had to sit and talk about every you know zombie movie I could think <laughs> about, every uh, Walking Dead episode I could think of. You know, all the you know all the you know, the land of the zombies, you name it for two hours. And I mm-hmm. thought this is going to be the mm-hmm. worst show I ever had. And actually I had a very high rating, but it was weird. I mean, that's the type of show you, you, that's what I hate about doing a live show, you know, feeding out to radio stations, because if something goes wrong, you can't just sit there and push a button and say, stop. And then, you know, wipe it out and start over again.
2: That's the bad part. One th- one thing I can say with certainty that I've learned about the Bigfoot phenomenon, the UFO phenomenon, the paranormal phenomenon, all of it, is it's never been a dull moment for me. There's always something interesting or fascinating, whether it's dealing with the public and people and their psychology and uh, the, the actual truth of what they're dealing with or the, the fabrications they, they present. There's always something fascinating and interesting that makes it worth Wow, well, and it, it's it's almost entertaining to the point where you can take a step back and look at the whole giant picture, and it's it's never dull. There's always something going on that makes it worth, whether it's good or bad, makes it worth checking into and studying. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, like Ron Moorhead, you know, with his sounds of Bigfoot and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, I've had him on on my show. I was rather impressed with you know what uh, he had to say. Uh, and some of the sounds he's managed to record. So I don't know if, unless there's hoaxers way out when he used to do this, where he had to pack out with a mule to go to his, uh, you know, little camp he would go to every year. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think he, he captured something out there. It sure wasn't squirrels making noise.
2: Oh, I I know Ron personally. And and, um, yeah, he's got some really intriguing uh, recordings from the seventies that he captured in the Sierra Nevada mountains of, you know, Northern California. And yeah, he's got some good stuff and intriguing stuff. And to this day, it still remains a mystery of what actually he caught, but it's definitely not human and who knows what it is, but it's, it's fascinating for for sure.
1: Well, it it gives hope that there is maybe Bigfoot out there. Uh, Before we sign off here in like two minutes, is there any uh, website you have or anything you want to, you know, share out?
2: Sure. Uh, I'll give out my personal website. It's ericaltman.net. Um, it's got some of the cases I've investigated over the years. Um, it's got a lot of information about me and other radio show interviews that I've done. Um, a lot of good information there um, as far as my 20-plus year career doing this. And it has a way on there if folks want to get in touch with me to, to discuss their sightings, stuff like that. I take all sightings seriously. Um, and we, we, we keep the uh, witness name confidential so people don't have to worry about us giving out names and addresses and stuff like that. And again, we do take things seriously, so if you're afraid about coming forward and talking to us about your encounter, don't be, because we're not going to ridicule or make fun of people. We want to try to collect as much data as we can, and we we take every case seriously. So uh, they can get a hold of me at EricAltman.net. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, If you type in Eric H. Altman, you'll find my profile, and you can reach me there as well.
1: Well, Eric, I want to thank you for coming on Night Dreams Talk Radio After Dark.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Gary. It's been a real pleasure talking with you tonight.
1: Yeah, and if you ever do run across a Bigfoot, you know how to get a hold of me.
2: I'll definitely let you know.
1: Okay, sir, you have a great weekend that's coming up.
2: You do the same. Have a good night. Okay, night. Bye-bye.
1: Well, coming up here, uh, we're going to start taking scary calls uh, in five minutes. Now, what you can do is call this number in five minutes. Now, I need... Only one caller at a time. I can't take more than that. It'll jam up the line. I got only three Skype accounts. I'm going to be using two of them here uh, to do the show. That means there's only one number that's available tonight, and that's one two five three two zero three six six eight one. That's one two five three two zero three six six eight one. It'll start at five minutes after the hour. Now you call up and tell us a scary story. Be it true, fake, or whatever you. Kind of leave that up to us. Just at, you know, then at the end, you can say if it's real or not. You know, why not? Don't leave us hanging. Now, what are you going to get for doing this? I'm going to send you, well, one of the many different books I have in the paranormal. I'm going to even pick up the postage. So it's not going to cost you anything. It's a free book just to say thank you for listening to the show and calling in. Again, that's one two five three two zero three six six eight one. I'm going to have James Krishbaum, uh coming on for the last hour to help, just in case we don't get any callers, because people are not used to calling in my show. But this is a good time. If you got a scary story, please give us a call. Again, I'm going to give this again. Write it down with a color crayon, marking pen, paintbrush. I don't care. It's one, two, five, three. Two zero six, six, eight, one. I'm going to take a, a short break, uh, to go to the little boy's room. I'm going to play some music and then we'll be back in about two minutes.
2: Do you have a paranormal story you want to share on Night Dreams Talk Radio? You could be a guest. Email us at Night Dreams Talk Radio at gmail.com.
4: He's voting for the friendly voice A radio the people's choice music weather sports and news it's radio the people choose everybody's swinging to the swinging voice A radio the
5: people's choice big fry small fry dawn to dawn it's radio
6: that turns them on. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is, the most listened to radio show on the planet, even the other stations are tuned in too.
0: You are listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio Network, from our compound to you worldwide, with your host gary anderson
1: well that is me at least i'm not sure do you believe in bigfoot do you believe in mothman do you believe in ufos and aliens well if you got a scary story why don't you give us a call in about two minutes at one two five three two zero three six six eight one. 203 6681 james are you on the line
7: yeah i'm on the line and i about fell off the line no i'm good how you doing gary oh uh,
1: what type of line are you talking about here my friend
7: <laughs> not the kind you're thinking of, gee. Okay.
1: I just wanted to make sure. All right, do you Now, do you, are you all set? Do you got a cup of Jabba next to you? Do you have your sugar-frosted flakes next to you?
7: Well, if I had a longer beard, I'd have my frosted flakes and eat and talk at the same time on my $10 mic, but not tonight. Tonight, I'm going no frosted flakes, no beard, and a good mic, and keeping it professional.
1: Oh, yeah. I know that mic definitely was more than $10. It was like eleven ninety nine.
7: <laughs> he had put it over that new uh, tax bracket, for sure.
1: Yeah. So what did you think of uh, uh, Eric? I, I, I think he had a lot of credible, interesting things to say.
7: Oh, he was uh, very educational, very intuitive. And, it, you know, it's coincidence he named uh, that guy Gordon today. I actually tried to uh, contact him today, <laughs> believe it or not. But uh, I couldn't get a hold of him. Couldn't find him. Couldn't even find how to get a hold of him.
1: Well, but, get- uh, yeah. Well, I can do. I, I can put you. In, I can connect you the next day to you with Eric, and maybe Eric can connect you with him.
7: Maybe, but I but I didn't look very hard. I just looked for a little bit, but I remember now when he was talking. Um, that bigfoot and UFO connection was in the seventies into the eighties. It was in like uh, north central to northwestern Pennsylvania. There was a lot of uh, coincide at the same time UFO sightings and bigfoot, and at the same time. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm wondering if we're
1: going to get any phone calls from anybody here tonight. I keep getting UFO pictures from somebody uh, uh, out there that is getting like 20 different UFOs. He's, you know, getting like 20 UFOs, uh, you know, in front of his property every day. All, oh, diff- gotta all, you, all that, different ones.
7: That has got to be the, uh, what do they call it, um the Astro-, 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 Astro Highway or something, gee. I have that, no
1: idea. But I'm, that, I, you know I'm really worried about? After promoting this all week, we don't get any phone calls with any scary stories.
7: Well, somebody better call in some scary stories. I, I can tell you I've got a boatload of them, but, I, but I'm trying to trying to piece them out once a week. Yeah, gotta keep it a good ways for many years. Yeah,
1: yes, or otherwise you're gonna have to go out and buy more comic books and read them, right?
7: Or something, or or do or do the armchair thing from the internet. Yeah, put my name put my name on it. Oh, geez.
1: Well, if anybody has a scary story, you're gonna get a free book out of the deal. I know I got people listening, uh, and the number is one two five three two zero three six six eight one. Don't be scared. You don't have to tell anybody over there who you are. So, you know, no, if you got a scary story and you want to share it. You'll get a good book. I guarantee it'll be a weekend read book. It's not going to be like a 20 minute read book and it's free. I am paying the postage.
7: Yeah, Plus, and that's going to be like at least five, six bucks. And it's a, it's a brand new paranormal book on the paranormal you don't even have to give your real name. Just say anything. Just just let the story flow off your tongue.
0: Yeah,
1: and if, and if you don't call in, then you look at the bright side. You save me money. I can go to McDonald's.
7: Yeah, because I, you know, if you sent out just five books at five bucks a piece, shipping that's twenty five dollars right there. Not to mention your time and your gas to go do it.
1: Oh yeah. Well, so far it is seven after. We're not getting any phone calls. And I had all these people all week long saying, I'm going to call in. I got this great story. Where are you guys? Come on. Yeah,
7: what's up with that?
1: Are you guys down at at the bar, you know, drinking a beer or something?
7: (laughs) It is Friday night, isn't it? I'm ready to be scared tonight.
1: Well, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to start off this and then you can do one. And maybe we'll only go on to 930 then if no one calls in. But I, I'm going to talk about my Bigfoot encounter a little bit more than I ever have. Okay.
7: Oh, I'm ready. Hold okay. on. Let me get my pen. Get Go your ahead. no. <laughs>
1: uh, come on. You can get your color crayons. Okay. That that'll work.
7: <laughs> yeah. Now. You know, someday I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to know it. I'm going to call your wife. I'm going to get her side of this
1: Yeah, and oh, you, <laughs> you're going to rile her up about that car we no longer own. Uh, you oh. know That's okay because you know what I did. It, uh, that you know, when the car was like two years old, my wife wanted another car because she puts on a lot of miles. In two years' time, she puts like about eighty thousand miles on a car. Oh my! So like, if wow. you don't trade them off in two years' time, they're you know they start going downhill really fast at that point. But I had a son at the time, who, you know, who wanted me to go buy him a car, but he didn't have much money, and I said, look, this car is a Cavalier; it's a four door, right? But you know mm. it, it, it's a nice car, and you know in you know driving it locally it'll last you for a year. No, he wanted to have a, a Mustang, you know a '79 <gasps> fastback Mustang. No, oh, I'm oh, sorry, boy. an '89. It was an '89. Yeah. Uh, it, it, no, 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 no. I'm I'm wrong. It was a '98. Oh, we, we, oh, call we okay. got a caller. Okay. We got a caller. We got a call. Okay, we got a caller, I think, or it's a bill collector, one of the two. Who do we have?
4: Uh, hello, Gary. First-time caller, long-time listener. This is Catherine. Um, I follow Night Dreams on Facebook, and I was going to call and tell you guys a story. Oh, please, uh, please do. Please. Yeah.
7: Yes, please. I, we're ready to be scared. All
4: right, guys. Well, um, a couple years ago, like back in 2017, I was traveling out through Hooper, Colorado. Um, I had just left the UFO Watchtower. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but it's a pretty neat place. Like, if you're into the paranormal and stuff, it's definitely a, a thing to put on your to do list. But, yeah, I've, I've anyhow, heard of it. I.
1: Mm -hmm. sorry no go ahead there might be a slight delay but go ahead
4: um anyhow we were traveling out through hooper colorado and down on one of those highways out in the middle of nowhere i um saw a ufo you know it was in the broad daylight too um i saw a ufo come out of the mountain and then it looked like it went right back into the mountain. It was it was a strange experience overall. Just like being in Hooper, Colorado altogether was a strange experience. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what well, what was that community like? To be a strange experience.
4: Um, well, I, it was it was a, a beautiful day. You know, we had just been out traveling and. Um, all of a sudden, you know, it, it kind of blew me away to see something like that because I was a little bit of a skeptic before going out there, so pretty interesting.
1: Now, have you ever had any other sightings of anything like that ever uh, since then?
4: Um, You know, not exactly, no. I've seen some strange things in the sky, but nothing quite as strange as this because, this looked kinda like a, a, a large craft or something, you know, it was it's pretty good sized so it was it was strange. I'd never seen nothing like it.
1: Can you kinda describe <laughs> what it kinda looked like and and roughly when you say big size, how big was it, Catherine?
4: Uh well, it was um it was kinda like round shaped and it, it I couldn't exactly tell you, it was just It was giant because it was off in the distance and it looked big from where I was at. So, just to see it like go back into the mountain like that and totally disappear, it was kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean up here, like near Mount Adams up here in Washington, uh, you know, there's a massive sighting of UFOs, kind of like coming out around the mountains and 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 disappearing around the mountains. So I don't know. Maybe there's a base there or something. Who knows?
4: Yeah, you know, yeah. it made me wonder, because down traveling all throughout that way, they have solar panels everywhere, and, like, there's nothing out there. It's like in totally the middle of nowhere. Hooper is, like, there's no houses for miles. It's crazy. Well, what do you so, do for
1: fun time in an pl- area like that?
4: Oh, I I don't know. I don't know what the uh, locals do for fun but you know, I met some pretty interesting people down there. They have the uh, UFO Watchtower, and I highly recommend it to anybody into UFOs and stuff because you know that's where I saw my first UFO sighting. You know, that really made me believe. So
0: once you, well, I gotta, oh, go, I ahead. gotta ask go, ahead, um, go ahead. Go ahead, James. Go ahead.
7: Have you noticed any missing time uh, after that, or any you know um, something you couldn't even? You know? time that was missing that you just couldn't piece together?
6: Um,
4: Not exactly, no, but the strange thing is, is that I had a camera with me, and um, my camera took, you know, rechargeable batteries, and my batteries had totally went dead while we were driving through that specific area. Like, I had taken pictures all morning, but once we entered that specific area of Hooper, headed towards New Mexico, Um, the batteries just totally went dead. So it was kind of strange.
1: Wow. That's kind of common, too. You know, people saying when they're near a UFO or whatever, they're, you know, either their cameras when they go to take a picture or, or, you know, malfunction or it's dead. And then all of a sudden when they get away from there, all of a sudden it works again.
4: Yeah, I've read that, too. I've, I've heard that myself. But, you know, um, it was just a strange experience and I thought I'd give you guys a call in and tell you guys about it.
1: Now, Catherine, what I need you to do, you got a pen and paper there by any chance? If you don't, I'm going to announce it a couple of times here in the next 15 minutes, A email address. You need to send me an email address. I got your phone number. I'll match the two together and I'll send you a book out next week.
4: Okay. That, that works for me. Um, I don't have a pen and paper on me, but um, I can send you my address and everything um, if that's okay with you, like via Facebook or something. No, I'll that, send that'll, you that'll a work email. I,
1: that'll that'll work. You can go through that too, and uh, you know, send me a text. You know, go through Messenger, through Facebook, and uh,
4: absolutely.
1: And I will send you a book out next week.
4: All right, awesome. You guys have a good night, though, and I'm glad I got to share my story with you guys.
1: Well, thank you for calling in, and you have a great weekend. Yeah, thank you. You too. Okay, you take care.
7: Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Well, at least we well, got that, one phone call there. That's kinda,
7: yeah, that was kind of deja vu of, of your little uh, story there in the middle. Remember, you, you was coming back from uh, Carolina, and you had a seen something there light hit your car or something like that
1: yeah, that that you know I, I i still think about that and I, I find it so very interesting what happened i was you know i was driving a gto and you know it, it had a lot of horsepower now well, you know at least it had the reputation of having you know a lot of power <laughs> yeah. and i remember going through new mexico They 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 didn't back at that time frame I think it was like 100 miles an hour, 105 mile top speed going through the desert on the freeway. It was crazy. And so, you know, hey, if it says 100 or 90 or whatever it was, I can't remember. I went that speed and probably added another 10 miles or 20 miles to it. And I remember, you know, cruising. (laughs) Right. And all of a sudden, me and my wife at the time, at the time, uh, the car lit up inside I mean, like, to, to you know, you could barely see. It was so bright. And all and around. a
7: 100 plus miles an hour. Too,
1: yeah. Right? And, and all Jeez. around the car lit up. And I started thinking, okay, this must be a police helicopter. I am busted. I pull off the side of the road. Okay. And, you know, my wife at the time, she's freaking out. She goes, oh, man, we, we just had a budget, enough money to get home. Okay. And I was living <laughs> on no-dose from North Carolina, all the way back oh, to really? Seattle at the time. In other words, it, you know, you're talking about a four-day drive without sleeping. Mm. A- wow. a- and I-, I tell you, I was really wired. Those no-dos can get you real wired after you're on them for a couple days steady. And, mm. uh, you know, I-, I get out of the car and all I see is this bright light for, you know, maybe a couple of seconds. I don't hear any sounds of an egg beater, of a helicopter, no nothing. I don't even hear the sound of the desert. It's just totally, totally quiet. And then poof, it was gone.
7: Wow. That would freak me out. But yeah. You're in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, like in a desert, like nothing.
1: There was nothing there. There was a car, and I wasn't smart enough to go, it, it, maybe a couple hundred feet behind me. It stopped, too. It, but oh. I I wasn't smart enough, you know. To, afterwards, to go up to the car. Did you see that? You know, I yeah. did, I you know I just got in the car and got the hell out of there. And you know, I remember at the time Julie that was my wife at the time. She kept looking, you know, for the windshield and side window, looking for you know like UFOs or stuff like that. And we were kind of scared, I'll be honest with you, but kind of like after the day of that happening, you kind of forget about it.
7: Yeah, well, that's kind of a that kind of gets your attention. You're middle of nowhere, a hundred mile an hour, middle of the night, and uh, your whole car inside lights up, and there's no no, no noise out there or nothing. Yeah, that would get your attention. My question to you was the car behind there was it a 1950s brand new sedan, no, Men in black?
1: Okay, come on, <laughs> I have no idea. I couldn't. It was nighttime. I I didn't. Who knows what it was? It could have been a Corvette, silver one. I don't
7: know. I just. I just mess it with you, cause you no. always bring that up about the men in black, you
1: know? Yeah, well, again, if anybody That's else is brave enough to give a call, okay? See, that proves there's somebody listening off of Facebook on the show, It, you know, listens. The number is one two five three two zero three six six eight one. 203 6681 That's one two five three two zero three six six eight one. 203 6681 You can talk to me, Gary, or you can talk to James, or you can talk to the both of us. But, you know, I, I, I always wonder, you know, I that maybe I lost time. Maybe that we were abducted. Maybe we weren't because, you know, the the story about that too is, you know, some years later, of course, if we were abducted, I wish they would have took her on the spaceship Uh, and this let me go by myself. Of course, that would have been uh, very hard to explain when I got home, when her parents goes, where's Julie? Uh, Oh, she was abducted. Uh huh. Okay. Well, I go to prison for 20 years, but uh, you know, I can tell you, uh, we're going to jump from around 1974, we're going to jump now into the 90s, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, something strange happened. I had some medical conditions. I went to uh, a surgeon and they did, you know, a CAT scan or whatever type of testing they did. And I, you know, had that done. I go to the doctor's office. A week later, I'm sitting in the doctor's office and the head nurse comes walking out and she says, Gary, when did you get that metal in your upper part of your back? Yes, I had a cough. I'm smoking a cigar. Okay. I had a cough there. I had to mute that.
7: So you, like you didn't there I, was no history of anything in your back until No 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 no. This.
1: No, I I I tell you what. When I was in the military, I my my tailbone got like shattered and they had to put it back together. That's a tailbone. Now this is the yeah. upper part of the back. Okay? Mm-hmm. There was no no puncture marks, no scars, no nothing. And I go I said to the head nurse, I mean, I go, "No, you must got this mixed up with somebody else." And she goes, "No, the doctor is going to talk to you about it. And I'm starting to go into my mind. You know, hey, I never, you know, no way, no you know, Stratenol, I don't remember anything. So I go in and talk to the surgeon, right? And the first thing he goes, well, did you ever have surgery on the upper part of your back? And I oh, go, geez. no, I, you can see where the scar is in the lower tar- part of my back, you know, right by my butthole, uh, you know, but I said, no, I, I've never had any surgery in the upper part of my back. And he goes, well, you got a piece of metal, you know, embedded right next to your, uh, spinal cord. And I go, oh, wow. I go, well, no, and he goes, are you sure you didn't have surgery at some point when, you know, whatever. And I go, No. And I I started getting concerned and I said, OK, I said, um, well, can you can you remove it? And he goes, no, we can't remove it because the scar tissue, it's formed around it. If we go in there, you could be most likely in a wheelchair the rest of your life. In other words, I would oh. lose all my abilities from my arms down. And I said, OK, well, you know, and I didn't think much of it. You know, I kind of blew that off of my mind. You know, I went and, you know, had my other type of surgery done and I didn't think anything of it, you know, too. one of my sons got in trouble and I had to go to court uh, in Pierce County every month for a year. And, you know, it, it, the first time I walk into the courthouse, I set the alarm off and I found, oh, wow, this is crazy. So, you know, I, I was, you know. a a bigger guy and you know the the first thing they do is okay empty your pockets empty your you know put your wallet do all this stuff right take your belt off okay well you know i'm wearing jeans if i take my belt (laughs) off my pants might fall down oh we don't care just you have to take (laughs) your belt off right and, and i'm still setting off the wands i'm setting off the machine you walk through and you know then they say okay go ahead and go through and then the following month, I remember going there. I set everything off again. There's a bunch of people w- waiting to get into. This is a superior court, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, b- big thing. <laughs> I, right. And yeah. uh, I set everything off again. So then they said, oh, no, you got to come to this special room. Oh, OK. Really put the gloves on, yeah. <laughs> and they, 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 they think I'm trying to maybe smuggle something in. And that the embarrassment of that. And then one other time I did that, my pants fell down to my knees. You know, good thing I had clean underwear on. But, <laughs> you know, I kind of was upset. And then I think about a year after that, I had to fly uh, to, uh, God, I can't remember. It was on the East Coast. And we had to make a couple stops. Like one, it was in, uh, God, I can't even think, Minnesota somewhere for some reason. And I remember I get off the plane okay and then go onto the plane again they have to uh you have to walk through this machine okay to get on the next plane and i set it off and that's when i found out the latex gloves could actually hurt uh but yeah and i to this day i i don't know you know what happened where i got it But then after, you know, getting back into doing paranormal and talking about a lot of UFOs, I started here recently thinking maybe that night in the desert when I Mm -hmm. saw that that bright light and, you know, and and it seemed like only a matter of a a fraction of a second or two and it was gone. Well, maybe we were abducted. Who knows? But I I certainly don't remember how I got this medal in my back. You know, mm-hmm. I asked my mom at the time because she was still living. My dad was still living at the time. And I said, Did I ever have. No, no, not never. So who knows? There I, was I, I some a little piece of metal in. And, 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 you know, I've had other CAT scans done since then. And it shows a little piece of metal next to my upper part of my uh, spine.
7: Okay. I got a question for you. Yeah. To go this ahead. day, if, if somebody's got a rubber glove and they snap it, does that, like give you flashbacks or get your attention or something. I mean, my God. Geez. No,
1: no. But I I tell you, if you don't like, it's not fun going through experience.
7: No, like I know. That's gotta be, that's what I mean. I had to be traumatizing. Jesus. And, and you did it more than, I obviously sounds like they did it to you a few times. Uh, you know, so. Yeah.
1: Virtually. Uh, well, considering going to court for a year and happen to go through that each time.
7: Oh my. Okay. I, I
1: quit flying after that. Okay. I, Oh, yeah, I went flying for a second a second time. I had a friend of mine who, uh, you know, uh, was a salesman and he he put on events. Okay, Uh, I I don't want to talk about what, but uh, uh, he would go around the country and he would put on like a weekend event somewhere where people would come and pay money to listen to him talk. And he wanted my help, you know, to go and uh, set up the stuff. And he, hey, I, he said, I, I'll pay for your first class flight. You know, I'll, you know, I, I won't give you more than a couple hundred bucks for it. But he, hey, you know, and I figured, hey, this is going to be cool. Well, he knew about this issue of me setting off these little alarms, right? Hmm. So, you know, he, uh, he, we get in, I set the alarms off. Okay. Well, they do their little thing and they say, okay, get on the plane. Okay, so we're sitting in my the seat, you know, in first class you know, on this plane getting ready to take off. And the stewardess walks by and he goes, do you know what he has in him?
7: Well, they, said, they said that?
1: He, my friend, as a joke, he says, do you know what my friend has oh, in him?
7: Oh, my goodness. Okay, as soon as Lord, he said they- that,
1: okay... She went and got the pilot. The next thing I know, security is on the plane. The Next thing I know, this was in Dallas, by the way. That's where that one happened. It was in Dallas. Well, that, thing, must
7: have been, that, that must have made a mark because you remember the city on this one. Oh, Jeez. yeah. Uh,
1: and next thing I know, the police are there on the, oh, the plane, right? Now, people are getting pissed off because the plane now at this point was supposed to have been gone 45 minutes ago. And it's your fault. Right. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, they escort me off and my friend, you know, looks at me and he was an old part. He thought it was funny. Okay. Uh, but he didn't want to admit he was joking. Okay. Oh. And, and so he goes, bye, Gary. Well, then they end up taking him too. But anyway, <laughs> they take me in the special room. They interrogate me because they thought maybe I had some bomb or whatever. Right. And then they, they, I start X raying me and all this stuff, and, and and he goes, well, yeah, that's what I was talking about. So they they said, okay, fine, you know, you got a piece of metal on, it and okay, that's okay, whatever. So they let us go. The problem is, I didn't fly first class back. After that, they stuck us on whatever plane they could put us on, and they actually the airline didn't even want to put us on because we created a scene on an airplane. I didn't create nothing. I didn't say a word.
7: And you paid for first class and got uh, treated like second class or worse.
1: No, my, my friend paid for it, and we, we, we oh. sat there and rode coach all the way back because of it.
7: Oh, my goodness. That sounds like a horror a horror trip. Jesus. So now, now um, you know, before I forget, I want to hear more details about this Bigfoot encounter that you had that you said you hadn't said yet.
1: Well, I'm going to oh. go into it, but I want somebody else to at least call. We had one oh. caller. Again, the number is what? one, two, five, three, two, oh, three, six, six, eight, one. Come on. Let's, let's get at least two in here. Make it worth my time. Okay. Yeah. My big foot in My Bigfoot story. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, as we parked the car and we, we went on a gravel, what was left of a service road or whatever it was. Okay. It was pretty much overgrown, but we managed to get the car a, a, a great distance off the main road. Uh, You know, and this is one of the main roads going through the Canadian Rockies. So we're probably about maybe a mile and a half up old road and we couldn't go any farther because it was overgrown and the, you know, the rut of the road was getting big and I would have got stuck out in the middle of nowhere. So we, you know, we go out there and we got our cameras all loaded and we, you know, hike in and we run across an old old prisoner uh, cemetery. Which was- actually quite big, and it was what was unique about it, it. was overgrown, you know, like the tombstones and stuff had weeds and all the grass and you know all the trees growing in right. between them. It was kind of really eerie, and wow. you know that was probably about almost two miles off of where we parked the car jeez so we walked a that little was- farther and then we get to the Old World War Japanese internment camp where they put the prisoners at during World War Two. Now, you imagine, like I said, this is out in the middle of nowhere, and it was put out there for a reason. Because if the prisoners escaped, where are they going to run to? Because there's no towns or anything around there for at least probably 20, 30 mile range or, or more. Yes.
7: Especially if it was wintertime, because it's no joke up there in wintertime.
1: Yeah, well, this was like early June, and there was actually even snow off the side of the roads in uh, space, you know, places, depending on, you know, going through there, at the, you know, how high up. And mm-hmm. Beautiful area, though, I will say that. A lot of lakes, a lot of rivers, a lot of, you know, ponds and stuff like that. A lot of wildlife. So we, you know, we hike into what's left of the internment camp. I think there was like one or two old buildings that were still kind of standing. And then there was a big creek. Now, this creek, you know, wasn't like soil-based. It was like going through rock because it was built on uh, the side of a mountain. Oh, hang on.
7: Oh, got a call.
1: Hey, we either got a bill collector on the phone or we got a caller. Who do we have? Hello.
7: Hi.
5: Hi, how are
1: you? Oh, fine. Who do we got?
5: We got Patty from Pennsylvania.
1: Hi, Patty from Pennsylvania.
7: Hi, Patty.
1: (laughs) Hi. Well, tell us. Okay. You you got a a scary Um, story?
5: Kind of. It's more creepy than scary.
0: Okay, let's go in for it. In
5: 1985, um, we were spending, my girlfriend and I were spending the summer at her uh, great-grandmother's mm-hmm. house. And we were on a three-wheeler. And uh, I don't know if you guys know the old, um, really deep wells. Here in PA, they put like little roofs and little lock doors on them that lock from the outside. Well, they padlock yeah. And uh, we were carrying, um around the yard and on the three-wheeler, and all of a sudden we seen um, the door open and a very strange um, small boy come out. He was probably about 10. Now, okay. this well is probably, oh, my gosh, a good 15, 16 feet deep. And there wow. was no possible way. Um, that he could have gotten out. And uh, his clothes um, were old. And when I mean old, I mean like probably sixteen, seventeen hundred. 1700s. And uh, he took off and started um, running up through the woods. And uh, if you know PA, you know the screen is very hard to walk, let alone run up the side of a mountain. And we were on the three-wheeler going as fast as we possibly could up the side of the mountain chasing him, and we could not catch him. And this little boy had no shoes
1: on. Oh, my goodness. He was running fast.
5: And, uh, like, he he wasn't a ghost or, or anything. I mean, he was solid. And, uh, like, he had on um, pants that didn't cover his ankles um, that were torn at the bottom and a little white puffy shirt that was, like, filthy. Well, when we finally got tired of chasing him because there was no way of catching him, we turned around and came back out of the mountain and uh, went to the well house. And it was still, um, the lock was hanging on it, but it was Undone from the outside. It, it was just really, really freaky.
7: It sounds like it. Geez, it sounds like it was a spirit, but it was just in a real solid form. I mean, you couldn't catch him either.
5: No, uh, like I said, it, if you would have seen him, you would know um, that he wasn't a spirit. The first thing my friend turned and looked at me, and she says, "Do you believe in time travelers?" I said, well, I didn't, but I think I kind of do now. Because, that, oh, wow. like I said, that is exactly what it looked like.
7: It's so he was he was solid, solid and, and running. And, and uh, well, that must have raised a hair on your neck anyway, I would think.
1: Oh, well, maybe he was.
7: Absolutely.
1: Maybe, Patty, he was scared of, you know, seeing, you know, if he's back from a pass. And then seeing something, you know, like a three-wheeler, you you, you imagine how scary that would have been for him.
5: If you would have seen, like, you could actually see the terror on this little boy's face. Like, he was just terrified of his surroundings, just everything. And when he was running, I mean, he was running, not looking back, not anything. Like, he was just moving. Interesting. So
7: have you ever heard any other stories from that well or ever see the the boy ever again?
5: Well, this house is probably, I don't know, 150 years old. And the original owners, um, her great grandmother was told, died beside the well. Um, he was messing with, uh, some type of, of lawn equipment. And, uh, it fell on him and decapitated him. That oh, wow. literally is that the only thing that was ever told to us about any of it.
7: That's interesting. Yeah, it is.
1: Now, hey, wow. P- Patty, I, 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 mm-hmm. I'm going to give an email address here in a few minutes. So if you get a pencil okay. and paper handy, you know, write the email address you know, and send me a little thing that, you know, you were on the show. I have your number, so I'll match it and I'll send you a book out. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you.
7: Thank you, Patty. Thank you
5: guys. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye guys.
7: Interesting. Yeah. That you, was interesting. Can
1: wow. you yeah. imagine though, if somebody is from the past example, and all of a sudden, you're on a three wheeler, you know, and you know all the noise it would make and the speed. I think that would scare the you know what out of somebody from the past, like you wouldn't believe. Well, they think you're a demon.
7: Absolutely, you figure a ten year old boy if he if he passed through some kind of portal or something and come out into you know 1990s or whatever from the 1880s and seen a three wheeler and two uh, women on it, she coming at him. I bet he would hightail. It. He wouldn't even know what to think about something like that. If you think about it,
1: oh yeah, and especially what women would be wearing in the '80s or '90s, you know, compared to what he was wearing. Again, the you know this the dress, you know of
7: you know just all
1: that would be combined. It'd be scary.
7: Absolutely, and and the noise, you know, the uh, you know if, if if he was from the 1860s, whatever, there was no mechanical uh machines that were running like that and, and people riding them you know a mechanical horse or whatever and it would have been allowed because i had one of them atcs they were allowed and and it's coming right at you that would be scary first of all he'd be scared anyway by just passing through time not to mention what he's seeing
1: well considering it doesn't have four legs and it's not a horse i would be you know kind of you know uh in shock myself
7: Right. I, you, and, you know, you know, that brings up a good point, Gary. We always talk about these missing people come up missing in, in these national forests and things. That could be a, a prime example, because who knows how many years this stuff's been going on?
1: Yeah, I just, you know, again, like, you know, like my thing encounter the the Bigfoot or whatever I I, I encountered. OK, when I think about it logically, OK, I, I, I can't I can't phantom it. OK, it d- doesn't make logical sense other than what I saw scared me more than I've ever been scared in my life. Okay. I mean, I, I, I I, I rather been, you know, back in the military and had people shooting at me. I I was more scared and, and, you know, it's things out here, you know, doing a show like this all the time, either everybody, a guest is a crackpot or there's a lot of things out there that we just don't understand. And, and I, you know, I, again, okay. You can sit there and say, okay, well, all these people vanished in the national and state parks, okay, over a period of time, they can figure, oh, well, the body will break down within a week or two or this or this, okay? Well, the clothing doesn't break down, not that Mm -hmm. fast. So, I mean, if somebody's wearing jeans and a jacket and has a gun or, you know, that, that stuff should be there. So when they're out looking for the people, they should find that, but it's just so many people it, 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 and, and not just in the national forest. You know, I was reading statistics here a week or two ago from the FBI. The amount of people that go vanishing in the United States every year with no trace. No, just like they never existed. They're gone. And, they, and, and even with the DNA, they can't find them because there's no trace of where they ever went. Where are these people going?
7: really and, it, and here's the thing there's so many of them that they would be piling up they wouldn't just be it, it wouldn't have nature wouldn't have time to get rid of them there are so many of them they would be piling up somewhere and and it, um you know serial killers on their best they can't put even a dent into what the amount uh, that there is the total of the people missing it's just it, it's bizarre
1: yeah and that's what scares me and And again, if it's alien or something else, I don't know what it is. I don't know if the Bigfoot or other cryptics are tied in with UFOs or not. I have no slightest idea other than, you know, doing a paranormal show. I just find it's unique that there's a lot of things people can, in their mind, because you have to justify to yourself, okay, that this is how it is, okay? oh, come on, we, we, we're we the only living humanoids, uh, you know, advanced whatever in the whole universe or other whatever it's out there. We're the only ones. I don't buy that. I, I don't buy that. So no,
7: that's pretty arrogant. That's arrogant thinking right there.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, seriously, you know, back at one time, you know, when people were over in in Spain and in Europe and England, they, before they discovered the Americas, right? They thought they would go so far and fall off the uh, Earth, and that would be the end of them. That was the end of it. And then they were shocked they found another continent. Okay, yeah. Well, that it, 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 that means people, the beliefs have changed. Okay, at one point they they thought, oh, well, like uh, Columbus figured, hey, you know, hey, if we go too far, we're going to fall off the Earth. You know, it it it, it <laughs> just makes you think. That how naive people are, mhm, so yeah. yeah,
7: and you're right, absolutely it, now, there is some people that will to this day that still say you you might fall off the edge of the earth, but I don't believe it not not at all, and you know you know there people you know what I'm talking about, but um yeah, it, listen, I think there's life teeming out there now, intelligent life, not so much, but there is intelligent life out there, even Drake's equation says that even in our galaxy, there should be ten thousand different life forms that is intelligent
1: well do we are we really intelligent are, <laughs> well, are, are, we, are we are we are, are we actually the most intelligent creature out there if, if anywhere or are we very primitive and nothing more than a you know a a, a cell that just does bodily functions basically I mean, think about it. I mean, some technology is so far advanced of us. That's maybe how they look at us. So maybe when people claim that they have been abducted and go through all this pain, okay, they they don't treat us like they would treat themselves because they don't look at us like whatever they are. They just might look at us as a lower life. Uh, uh, you know the same way the same way you go to when you're in junior high school and you dissect a frog mm-hmm. okay that maybe they feel the same empathy of, uh, about humans as when you were in junior high school and dissected a frog
2: or or you go
7: to a science lab like the CDC and they got a bunch of right white, white uh, rats and they're you know experimenting on them giving them diseases and pro probing them and probing them and and, and dissecting them too.
1: Well, or because dogs were, or chimpanzees yeah. or anything else. Okay. That, that That's the way it is. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, do, right. they, do we care about how much pain we, we put on In Fact, Some of the, you know, back years ago, the companies that made hair shampoo would torture animals, you know, to see basically what, you know, when they add all the stuff into the shampoo, what's going to, you know, hurt the eyes and damage the eyes. They, you know, they Do you think they cared? They bought the nope. animals as lab animals, and they didn't have no they didn't feel bad if they hurt an animal, so look at the aliens, okay, maybe a species comes down and, and then you know harvests eggs from a woman or takes your DNA or or even worse yet, takes you home for dinner. I don't know, and you know puts you in the deep freeze. Do they get back to their planet? Maybe they got tens of thousands of people on that big mothership that were you know were a commodity.
7: Uh, that's a, you know what? Who knows? That's a, these are all very good points because I know. Listen, you know, just the law of averages. Even if all these aliens are taking people for whatever, there's got to be a law of averages that some of these abductees are going to have a heart attack or just their time they're going to die. And and who knows what they do with them? Maybe they eat them. Maybe they don't. They just throw them in a lake somewhere or ocean. Who knows? They just come up missing forever.
1: Well, you know what? I can take you if you give me the money for the pl- uh, plane fair to get you there. There's a couple of spots on this planet yet where, you know, uh, there's an island yet, okay, that, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, is restricted because the natives on the island love eating people. And oh. in, in that, you know, is a fact. And then there's some places yet in the Amazon where there's still some headhunters out there that, you know, cannibals. So people do eat people. And like I told people on my show a couple of weeks ago, you're on a ship. It sinks. You're on a lifeboat. You got seven days worth of uh, food. There's three other people on the boat with you. Right. And you you have no GPS on there because it was damaged, okay? Now, after about the fourth day, you start panicking because your rations are going to be gone in a couple days. That means you're going to die. So you start looking at, oh, that person looks really sickly, or he's older, you know what? And it's been, it has happened a lot through, you know, the the centuries. And even within the last 20 years, they'll, they'll, somebody will end up, you know, uh well, they don't give themselves away, but you know they are killed and ate.
7: Yeah, it, uh, wasn't wasn't there some kind of connection to that with the uh, like the Moby Dick story or something like that out the sea and, and uh, then getting a lifeboat? I don't Pretty know, much like you're saying, yeah. But it know, was, and, and, uh, it, it, yeah.
1: it happened during World War II. It happened back about twenty years ago. I can't remember the case, but there was a couple of survivors of a shipwreck. And, uh, one person was hurt and, you know, they didn't have enough food. And when they didn't have enough food or whatever, they, they started uh, eating a person that was on there. It was, it was a major news story about 20 years ago. So that tells you, if you're in a situation where, you know, survival, you don't know what the guy next to you would do. So you're trying to tell me that aliens are going to come down here and, and bring you a box of chocolates and give you some flowers and say, Hey, I'm here to protect you.
7: Well, you know what? Another good point. Remember the plane cr- uh, crash? It was in South America, a soccer team that they stuck on a mountain for a long time and they had to start eating long pig. And, uh, yeah, that it happens. And, and that's a good point. You know, when it says here to serve man, like the old Twilight Zone episode, they might be here to serve man to themselves. Not to
1: help us. Yeah, and, and what you're talking about, they made a movie about that uh, plane crash. And do you know what? They were like a quarter of a mile away from a ski resort that, you, you know, that uh, they didn't know. Okay. Right. And the plane right. crashed there. And and they, they started eating, you know, body parts. And then uh, I guess they even ate a person or two. Uh, but to survive because, you know, the food ran out right away for the survivors. And if people would do that to survive, it tells me that aliens just might look at us. At, I have no idea. I'm not an I expert. Don't I have a right. lot of years of guests telling me, horror stories of, uh, you know, of abduction cases. And then I have had years of people telling me how these aliens are, you know, giving off orbs. I know you're going to laugh, uh, and they're here to protect <laughs> mankind. But like I said, the other night on the show, if they're here to uh, help mankind, right? Why would we mm-hmm. had world war one? Why would the Nazis kill all those millions of people? Why did we have, uh, you know, the Korean war? Why did we go in Afghanistan? Why did we uh, drop a nuclear bomb over Hiroshima and the other, uh, you know, city of Japan? Why did we, uh, if they're here protecting us from doing something, they sure haven't stopped us from anything.
7: Nope, not at all. And matter of fact, they've even messed around with uh, some nuclear uh, installations at some military bases. The one out in Minnesota, uh, all over, there's been reports of that.
1: Well, just to prove to you, they, they can either start or stop a, a countdown. They and, and, you know, and in the case of one of them, they started the countdown and then they stopped it just to show that they could do it. Now, again, is that a true story or is that just right. folklore? I don't know.
7: We don't know. I do know this much. During the Cold War, that's a dangerous thing to be playing around with, that's for sure. Oh, either yeah. way.
1: Anyway, I would like to get one more phone call here in the last couple of minutes. Come on. I got these books, man. They're taking up my studio space. The number is one 203 That's one 203 I know what's going to happen, James. What's going to happen? Well, because of the time <laughs> difference, okay? And we're not on the radio stations because we were off the radio stations at 9 p.m. So we're just on the Internet now, continuing the last hour. I got a funny freaking feeling this is what's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> The time difference of the UK and Europe is going to happen. And then I will come here tomorrow morning, go in my studio, and I'll have people calling me, thinking my show's <laughs> live. Because you know what? They click on it and they think it's live. A lot of people do. I, during the day, I have to keep my uh, uh, Skype turned off because I get phone calls all day long.
7: But oh, yeah, what, plus you got people in Australia and all over the world. It's going to be, you know, different times. and going to be like, oh, yeah, we need to call in. Scare Gary.
1: So I'm telling you right now, we're Pacific West Coast time. So when you guys wake up in the U.K. or in Australia or wherever you're at, it's, we're not on the air, okay? We're not on the air.
7: It's an illusion.
1: <laughs> now, who do, who's your guest tomorrow on Night Dreams Talk Radio on Saturday edition?
7: My guest tomorrow is going to be Calvin Parker. Um, He's got an incredible incident that happened to him. It's going to be absolutely bone-chilling. He was abducted by aliens in uh, 1973 from uh, Pulaskelu, Mississippi. I I know I probably pronounced that wrong. But him and his friend were just innocently fishing, and they were abducted. And he's going to tell about the, I mean, bone-chilling events that happened with the aliens and them and what all happened. I can't wait. It's, it's, listen, I'm excited. I'm probably going to be scared, too. Well, you know what? He is one of the first persons
1: that actually said, when I asked him, I said, did you feel they had a friendly, warm intent with you? And he said, no. Uh, you know, it's everything from when they he was sitting with his associate on the dock and these two, like, robots came, you know, and, and kind of, mm. like, levitated him and zapped him with, you know, whatever they zapped him with, which hurt. And then he's on the spaceship, uh, you know, on a table, and they're prodding him. Could you imagine? Okay, somebody putting their fingers—long, longer fingers than we have—right in your yeah. mouth, in your mouth, and trying to come out of your nostril.
7: Oh my God! You know what, Gary? I gotta say this. You know, I've said it before. If I went to somebody's house in the middle of the night and got them out of bed, abducted them, and and you know, got jiggy with them, all kind of secret probing scientific stuff, try to erase their memory and put them back, I am sure that not, no law enforcement or courts are going to say, well, you didn't have any empathy. We're going to give you a break. It's okay. You don't know what happened. No, they're going to put me away for life. It, I, I mean, I, oh, I, it, it's just it's not right. It's just not right, yeah, in my opinion.
1: They'll, well, they'll put you away, but it won't probably be in a prison. It'll be in a mental ward to the, to the day you die
7: right if i try to put my fingers through somebody's mouth and out there nose, they're gonna be like what is wrong with you
1: well oh, yeah you know and so you know or, or going and abducting somebody and removing their eggs or taking their dna or what's you know being abducted right and then having you know what do you call all your, and being mutilated and having you know certain parts removed of your body and, and and who knows if they knock you out first before they start doing it? Could you imagine somebody going through there with like a laser type of uh, equipment and start removing your heart while you're still alive?
7: Oh my god! And then what if I put an implant in you so I can you know pick you up anytime I want to? Was that okay? No. no. And then and and then you know I, I it's just it boggles my mind because I think some people they 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 just have no empathy these. Well, maybe they don't even know what empathy is, you know. That's what I said at the beginning. Maybe maybe we're just rats to
1: them, too. Yeah, we're just test animals. But I don't understand why that they they are, you know, tagging us. Uh, You know, why, if they abduct you once, why would, well, maybe they're wanting to understand our aging process, too. You know, like if they abduct you when you're a young kid of like five years or eight years old, and they well, every couple of years they abduct you, and they're just watching how long it takes before you start maturing, and then you start going old. Oh, I don't know.
7: Well, here's the thing, Gary. They've been coming here probably for thousands of years. They are absolutely way far advanced than us. Now, how many years do they got to keep abducting us to find out what they 've got to find out when they 're so far advanced of us that 's the question that 's what baffles me
1: that 's why I come back with the other thing, okay The other thing <laughs> is I think they came here for our minerals, our you know resources like gold and silver that 's how all the incas and and all the uh all the other you know uh cultures you know why did they put precious on gold and not pewter okay or lead or some other type of metal or or, or brass no that it was gold and silver was precious going back thousands of years ago that something had to turn them on worldwide for all these different the incas and uh, the mayas and all the stuff about gold come on something was okay but i look at maybe like i said before we're a giant farm yeah And that's maybe we're a breeding ground. They let us live our lives, you know, and and, you know, for they don't have to sit there and, you know, feed us like you do animals, wildlife, you know, like cows and pigs and, you know, goats. Yeah, that sounds like my house. But I I (laughs) mean, seriously, they let us go on our life and they sit there and, you know, they they come and, and take what they need when they want it.
7: Well, let me say this. I, You know, I live in farm country, and farmers, they never take their whole herd and butcher, butcher them all at once. Now they have calves, and they continue breeding, and, and so they've always got livestock on their farm throughout their whole generations. They never take them all in at once and butcher them unless they're going out of business. They, you know, they breed them, and they have them all through the years. It's kind of the same principle. It could be in theory anyway.
1: Well, it could be. I mean, God, I mean, look, up, maybe we're supplying a couple planets, you know?
7: Well, that's the thing. Who knows how many different races there are? Like I said, I know 20-some years ago, I did see a document that showed 168 different alien races without government knew. Now, I don't know if hell, how legit the document was, but it sure looked pretty good to me. And that was 20-some years ago. And I'm sure in 20-some years, it probably added a few more to it. And and like any other biological entity, there's good, bad, and there's ugly. That goes with humans and all it, dogs, anything.
1: Uh, well, anyway, we're down like the last two or three minutes. I'm going to say this: don't worry about folks about you know UFOs and Bigfoot and all that stuff. What you need to worry about is kind of was interesting. They said it's a possibility. Now they said it's going to fly by Earth by about 4.6 million miles, which that is actually when you think about it, very close. And again, you know, how accurate is that 4.6 million miles? You know, again, it could be totally off. If you remember Russia back in the early 1900s, a asteroid hit the uh, Russian. Tunguska. Yeah. And took out 1,700 square miles of trees and whatever was there living was gone instantly. Now, They said a size of an asteroid of a school bus, you know, a large school bus, would take out a city. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, NASA, and it's on the news today, and actually since yesterday, there's an asteroid the size of a football field.
7: Oh, that's dangerous there.
1: And it said it's going to fly by Earth, and they said it's one, it's on the warning list. Okay, that oh. when it's on a warning list, that's when they start getting concerned. Uh, that is the size of a football field.
6: Mm.
1: Now, could you imagine if that hit? Well, how much oh, yeah. area damage it would take out?
7: And it's and depending where it hits, if it hits the ocean, it'll have 500 foot tidal waves. If it hit, uh, say, um, in Yellowstone, where you got the super volcano, no, <laughs> they you're, wouldn't you're, trigger that
1: yeah well, if it did that, you could pretty much kiss man uh that would be an extinction uh event. yeah they
7: call it, they call that ellie
1: yeah, that's it. If it hits anywhere in the Midwest, you're talking a couple thousand mile range, it'll be just vaporized
7: right, and then with that you got what they call like a pretty much a nuclear winter after that, and it's just it's all downhill.
1: It's just bad. Yeah, well, that gives you a lot of time to have sex for, you know, <laughs> to, to try to relieve the stress. I don't know. Well, that, you know, I just wanted to bring that up tonight. So don't worry about UFOs. You know, it, are there UFOs and aliens? I don't know. Okay. I've, ne- they, I've never they, shook 1, hands with one.
7: Million need to stop and help us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <man>.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe they can help what's going on in Washington, D.C. Anyway. Tomorrow, guys, tune in to uh, James Christmas show on Night Stock Radio After Dark Saturday. Uh, He has a great uh, uh, guest, Calvin Parker, who was abducted, and uh, he is a great guest. I've had him on my show. Uh, This is one show you do not want to miss tomorrow, and he's on between 4 and 5 Pacific time. And what on the East Coast time, my friend?
7: 7 p.m. Eastern time to 8 o'clock Eastern time.
1: Okay, everybody. I want you to have a good night, and, you know, hey, well, we got two books to give out tonight. Everybody, have a great one. We'll catch you on Monday, and James will catch you tomorrow. Take care, James. All right.
0: Bye-bye. Bye.